Second Print Universe. There is a storm of ruin this week as we are going to do a deep dive on a run from the great comic book writer Warren Ellis as he took over Wildstorm's Stormwatch comic book back in 1996. But of course, I will not be sailing alone on this journey. I've got my ever-loving Ranton and Raven and partner in Cosmic Crime, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, what's happening, man? I am doing quite well. I, I gotta say, it feels like I'm coming out of like a seven-month-long hangover uh, death metal just ended recently and i can tell you this i liked the series but as i was telling the the manager at my local comic shop i felt like i was getting dick punched like on a weekly basis with all those one shots and stuff and right now i'm collecting uh some not all but i'm collecting some of the future state titles and some are better than others i bought issue ones to a couple of them like uh harley quinn and Superman and Metropolis, and those were interesting, but I won't be finishing those uh, those series that are soon to wrap up with their second issue in March because Future Stay is only a two month long little escapade that DC is doing. So, you know, it feels like I've just traded one vice for another when it comes to these massive crossover events. But at least I know the end is near in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my stance on these events is, you know, stuff, a a major event like death metal itself, I can't resist. I have to see what's going on there. Uh, Generally love Scott Snyder. I really love the first uh, metal. Was it called? It was just called metal. Yeah, it was just like Dark Knight's metal. Or it was death metal. And now it's Dark Knight's death metal or something like that. Anyway, there's death. There's there's metal. Things are happening. Um, I I liked it and I started liking it in the beginning and I enjoyed it. But at some point I realized, Oh, they're just trying to milk like a billion dollars off of me with all these one shots. And I refuse to buy, I won't buy one shots. I won't buy spinoffs of series like pretty much ever, unless I hear something is especially amazing in principle, because if you can't tell your story in the actual issues of the thing, then your story sucks. If I need a hundred more stories to, to dive into, to actually understand it. Usually the one shots, the spinoffs, what have you aren't necessary. Like for flashpoint, for example, they, they had a bunch of spinoffs, a bunch of little series. So you could find out more of the universe. I'm okay with that because you didn't need, you could have never read them and you're fine. And they're just out there for people that want to dive more into this flashpoint universe with death metal. It, it really felt like they wanted you to think you had to buy every last one because they would every issue they'd be like, oh yeah, because that thing that that they did over with Superboy Prime, oh, because of that thing they did over there with uh, the the uh, the Crisis Energy, and it would reference these other things that I was supposed to have seen, which is frankly insulting when I'm already paying like six ninety nine a month for for this book. Yeah, and, and I did the math. If you collected all seven issues of Death Metal as well as all the one shots and the Justice League crossover, you spent close up to two hundred and thirty dollars. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. But at some point, you know, it's it's kind of like the drug dealer thing. Can can we really blame the heroin? Here I am defending drug dealers again. It's a <laughs> staple of mine here on Second Print Comics. Can you really blame blame the heroin dealer for the demand? Can you really blame blame DC Comics knowing that little Remzo Martinez is going to be out there p- paying Take my money. for these one shots? Take my money. I mean, 
you you tell them you're going to take their money and they they've accepted the offer. So I can't I can't blame DC knowing that there are many many Remzos out there that will pay for all all these titles. But uh my official stance on I don't know. Maybe we'll do a bonus show uh, or a segment or something actually breaking down death metal at some point because I think it it deserves more than we can do just kind of inserting it in front of the Oh, that'll show. be that'll be That'll be hard, <laughs> especially this, especially with this particular, uh, because, because I finished today. it. I finished issue seven and no spoilers, but like, well, well, I did a spoiler free review on the website, but to kind of add to that, it's like, I finished it and I'm still looking at it like, okay, what just happened? Okay. How far do we need to take it back? Issue two. <laughs> It's like communism. Uh, when, when every when everyone has when everyone has to have something, nobody has anything. Uh, when everything matters, nothing matters. That's the best way to put That's it. That's my stance. That's the best I can do here. Uh, my stance, as far as future slate goes, I'm gonna wait till it all happens. And uh, I, when when I, when you've told me something doesn't matter in advance, when you've already waved the flag and said this is just two months, then we're gonna go back to you know, present time. I have a hard time caring. I have a hard time feeling like it's more than a cash grab. Maybe there's some interesting stories that'll be in there. Maybe I'll be surprised and there'll be stuff that will really tie into what they do afterwards with Infinite Frontier, which I am interested to check out because Jeff Johns is coming back uh, for that. Uh, I think they're doing another. Bendis is writing Justice League. Well, we'll see. We'll see if that's exciting or not. But uh, I will leave the modern DC Comics talk to our friends at Weird Science DC Comics because these guys uh, don't mess around. They do ev- they review every single book between uh, their website, between uh, their their podcast, and between well, just those two things between the Patreon podcast and their regular podcast. Uh, this sounds like an ad for them, but it's not. I just really like what they're doing. So check out Weird Science DC Comics. Same. They they br- they make it they make it easy so that way I can understand. I'm a pretty C average American, so when it comes to this stuff getting complicated, they break it down smooth like jazz. But yeah, it's uh, what what I will say, and this is my final comments on this. If you're wondering whether or not you should collect the single issues or if you should wait for like a giant omnibus graphic novel or a bunch of single trade paperbacks to come out. Omnibus. How are they going to fit 180 page one shots into it? I mean, that's that's multiple. That's omnibuy right there. Have, have you seen the Before the Watchmen deluxe omnibus? Luckily, I haven't. That that thing can stop a bullet. OK, we shall see. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'm already I'm already like knees knee deep in this stuff so i'm like oh i'll finish like next batman and stuff like that but if you if you miss the first couple weeks and you're like should i just wait just wait indeed i agree wait until like me wait until you can read it for free kids that's when it's always there you go and then you can hate read it if you want I don't think it's quite hate ain't no reading like hate reading death metal is definitely not a hate read it's it's an enjoyable read but anyway uh I don't I don't like it when you tell me I had to read the 17 <laughs> one shots that just happened in the last four weeks. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. We have a challenge today. I, I kind of swore to, swore to myself I wouldn't do this again when I reviewed Maximum Carnage, all 14 issues. I told myself I wouldn't do 14 issues. I wouldn't try to squeeze that into one episode again. But this run we're going to look at today, uh, I really feel like it's a kind of a it's a part of a complete story. Um, the Clone Saga. Yes, we're going to be reviewing uh, the, entire, <laughs> the entirety of the Clone Saga. Wait with us for wait with us for four years as Spider-Man tries to figure out if he's real or not. That was actually, man, I actually read all of that when I was, I mean, maybe we will do the Clone Saga at some point. Um, There have been many Clone Sagas. And now I see Miles as a Clone Saga, too. 
Everyone gets one. I was I got I got so mad. You get a clone saga. I feel like the, you get a clone saga. We all get a clone saga. I feel I feel like for Miles, like he's done great in every other medium except his own comics. Uh, yeah, I, that's all I'll say about that. That's all I'll say about. It. I mean, Spider Verse is his best is his best medium for sure. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, I mean, even even the video game and and even like, you know, when he was in the Champions comic, I liked that Uh, when when he guest stars and other people's stuff. He's awesome. It's just like in his own. And I I collected Miles Morales, Spider-Man. I even got, you know, I got the subscription. So it was mailed to my house. I liked it that that much. But then when it turned into just like, you know, he's just basically Peter Parker, but black and speaks Spanish. I'm like, well, this isn't really what I wanted. This isn't really what I remember from all new ultimate comics. Spider-Man with Miles Morales. This is kind of, this is getting kind of flat here. Ethnic Peter, but whatever. Yeah. Basically Peter with an accent. Yeah. So today we're going to dive into not Spider-Man, not the Clone Saga, not Maximum Carnage, none of this stuff, thankfully. We are going to dive into a run from one of my favorite comic writers. That is Warren Ellis as he took over Stormwatch from Wildstorm back in 1996. Uh, Remzo, before we dive in, how familiar are you with the work of Warren Ellis? Warren Ellis's Invincible Iron Man Volume 1 was by far my definitive Iron Man story. He brought Iron Man back into the 21st century, so much so that uh, his work in the comics right before Marvel Comics Civil War impacted the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He he came swinging so hard. Other than that, um, I, I've 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 read some of his other stuff, but his his Iron Man run is by far my all time favorite. All right, yeah, and he's best known for. I mean, he's been both in uh, independent comics as well as mainstream comics. Uh, he's had uh, his he's well very well known. Probably his best kind of most critically acclaimed series is a series called Trans Metropolitan. Uh, he also had a lot of runs in mainstream comics with uh, Marvel. He did what I think uh, he had an astonishing X Men run, Thunderbolts, like you said, Iron Man, Moon Knight, and uh, then he hopped over and started working with Jim Lee. And he really dove into Jim Lee's Wildstorm universe uh, back in 1996 when uh, sales were kind of floundering. Jim Lee was actually kind of already uh, I think losing his passion a bit as a publisher at this point and he took a lot of of stuff off his plate this is going to be right before he would actually go back to marvel along with rob liefeld to do heroes reborn uh so he brought in warren ellis to kind of uh give sort of a a facelift to his wildstorm books um sort of an injection of excitement into the wildstorm line which at this point uh with image comics wildstorm was still under the image banner uh, but at this point, a lot of the studios had kind of been separating from Image uh, in just in sort of how they portrayed themselves. Like, I think these books just said Wildstorm on them. I'm not sure if they said Image. They might have said Image at the beginning, but by the time we get you know into later issues, this is just a Wildstorm book. And this would pave the way uh, a couple of years later. I think it was 1999 when it finally went through for DC to buy Wildstorm and bring in a lot of these titles. And they would, they would keep a lot of the characters going, a lot of the characters and titles going uh, that kind of spring out from the this particular Stormwatch run. Uh, and this run would eventually, as Remzo found out when I, I told him live on this podcast, uh, eventually this actually impacts the modern DC Universe continuity because Stormwatch, not in this volume, but later in the Stormwatch run, we're going to be introduced to the concept of the bleed. Uh, they kind of do reference parallel worlds and realities in this run of Stormwatch. Uh, but the bleed is basically this sort of, it's 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 the it's the source wall that's been referenced in a lot of DC comics. That's basically the 
mm, I guess the it's the wall, I guess you would say, uh, that divides uh, different realities, I guess. I guess is the easiest way to put put it. Yeah, what what I would what I would do and this is my this isn't a criticism, it's just a preference. Like for me, Stormwatch always felt like DC's version of Exiles. Exiles was a team of mutants from across the, the the main Marvel universe and a few from alternate dimensions that basically go traveling across different realities, timelines, worlds, you know, time travel, that type of stuff. It's a lot like Legends of Tomorrow on on the CW in the Arrowverse. And, uh, you know, it's a good it, it's good. I never I never bought those exile comics, but I would read them with friends and stuff. And Stormwatch was kind of like that for me, like Stormwatch. It was kind of edgy. It didn't have a lot of characters that I always felt attached to. And the story, to its credit, you know, you could read this book and all the stuff they're referencing is primarily just in here. So unless you were really, really into this concept of, you know, traveling across realms in like a Stargate sense, um, you know, it's it's really something that was harder for me to get into. Yeah, and this there would be some references um to like the greater greater Wildstorm universe. There are some minor references uh to Wildcats in this. Uh, eventually when they get to I mean, they have the one issue where they encounter these aliens, the, the Daemonites. But other than that, there is very little reference to the rest of the Wildstorm universe. Um, it's, it takes place in it. Uh, there's enough references to know that it's in this connected universe that Jim Lee created. Uh, but you definitely don't need it. You can pretty easily pick yeah. up this run from where we pick up from Warren Ellis's first issue, which is issue number 37. Uh, so we will uh, start there. Issue number 37, Stormwatch number 37 by Warren Ellis, art by Tom Rainey. And uh, we start off hot. So I'm going to act like this is an issue number one. Obviously, they were, there's a whole backstory here. But basically, Stormwatch is uh, the protector of, of the planet. They, uh, they have a satellite up there in space. And they are there to protect Earth from otherworldly threats. Um, a bunch of shit went down before this issue, before Warren Ellis took over. I've never read the run before that, and I didn't. Uh, considering I read 14 issues to prepare for this episode, I wasn't gonna go read everything that before Warren Ellis hopped on uh, to to get us up to speed. So that's all I can tell you. Some shit went down, but before the, before this issue, the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, some shit went down. Um. So so Stormwatch is basically being sort of reformed and reorganized by Henry Bendix. Now Henry Bendix is known as the Weatherman. He is basically he basically sits up in in a Skywatch, which is the name of the Stormwatch. Satellite Stormwatch is the name of the group of the actual heroes, and Skywatch is the name of the satellite where you know that their their operations are based out of. Uh, so we meet Henry Bendix, uh, and uh, basically, uh, there's also a little segue where we, we we see this little this creature, this Superman they call him. Uh, he is not the Superman; he is just a Superman. They're they're referencing uh, a work uh, by uh, Frederick Nietzsche, I, I think. Uh, there's some philo- philosophical reference there, but we see this. Das Übermensch. Yeah, we see the Übermensch. We see the Übermensch here, uh, just killing some people in the German countryside. Before we go back to see more about uh, the or- the reorganization of Stormwatch. Now they are returning from a funeral here, uh, from Flashpoint's funeral. A character named Flashpoint. I don't know anything about Flashpoint, and we don't need to know anything about Flashpoint. Nobody cares about. Let's Flashpoint. leave it at that. The only Flashpoint you need to care about is DC's Flashpoint, which we reviewed. I think what two or three episodes ago. So go back and check that one out if you're new to the show. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Meanwhile, Henry Bendix, the weatherman, he goes off to find uh, Jenny Sparks. Jenny Sparks, who is 96 years old 
and looking pretty fine, if, if you ask me. And he also recruits uh, a fellow named Jack Hawksmore. We'll le- learn more about him. Uh, Bendix, Bendix also finds Jenny Sparks at, at a bar, because uh, as you'll learn about Jenny Sparks in this series, Jenny Sparks is a vociferous smoker and drinker, uh, and she does not look 96 years old, Remzo. No, not at all. You would not find me not staring at her at the bar. We will learn a lot more about Jenny Sparks and why she is who she is. Not really so much even in this Stormwatch run, but this is a character that will stick around uh, later in Authority and and Planetary, which kind of spring out from this over the next few years. So just remember Jenny Sparks. She is one of my favorite characters, uh, I think, that that do come out of this Warren Ellis run. Um, But yeah, she also recruits this guy Jack Hawksmore and someone named Rose Tattoo, who, um, what was your your first impression of, of how we met Rose tattoo. We just see this one splash page of her surrounded by just bodies and candles and and with knives through them. I mean, uh, what was your first impression of this broad? Yeah, I mean, this is what what you what you get from these image creators, this level of violence and this level of gore that you're not going to get elsewhere. And uh, it's it's very much what you're going to get from the 90s. It's cool to look at. It's just, you know, when, when you start to really jump into this era and we've seen this of like uh, the Max and some of the other image books that we've kind of jumped into, it, it starts to feel just a little bit predictable in a way. It's cool, but a little bit predictable. Yeah, and I think this it kind of has the feel just like violence and, and gore wise. It's not over the top. You just see it. You see it in spurts. It kind of feels like um, a little bit like a Valiant comic might feel where you just feel like you get a little more sort of gritty, realistic looking violence. But yeah, Rose too is just she she kills. It's what she does. It's her thing. And uh, she's got a full body, you know, red suit and red tattoos. And she's something. She's something else. I will say uh, we also meet Christine Trelane, uh, who is in a relationship with a man named Jackson King. Now, Jackson King is known as Battalion, but in this reorganization of Stormwatch that we're going to learn about from Henry Bendix in a minute, um, he is being taken out of the field. He is now going to just become a trainer uh, in this this kind of iteration of Stormwatch. Uh, let's see. We also learn, uh, we're kind of hearing, you know, Henry, we're learning some things about what's been going on with Stormwatch. So there's also a character named Union. Uh, he's been severed. He's been cut from Stormwatch. Uh, two characters named Carl and Maya, Royko. Uh, I'm not sure what their actual code names were, but uh, they have been cut from Stormwatch. They have been taken out of active duty. Um, and we see Henry Bendix. He's visiting this UN council. Uh, I'll say right now, I'm kind of going through this issue sort of, you know, page by page a little bit. There Again, there's 14 issues here. I don't know how I did Maximum Carnage in less than two hours. But right now at this point for us, it takes us two hours to often go through like four, 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 uh, you know, four issues of a series. So especially when it comes to these writers, man, yeah. like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is a novel. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to get to more books like that when we get to Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Uh, I wouldn't quite put Warren Ellis in that category, but we are trying to t- tackle a lot a lot of works here because splitting this up just didn't make sense to me. So in these early issues, I'm going to kind of explain things a little more. Uh, but as we get through these this series, there's going to be some issues where I just kind of give you a two second recap and we move on because you don't uh, there's a lot of sort of individual stories here and those stories end up sort of building up to a crescendo you know later on in the series just just so we know but for now i'm going to kind of go through this a little more fine tooth as you're uh, fine tooth with a, a little more with a fine tooth comb as you're used to hearing with a here. fine yes. tooth comb exactly. fine tooth comb fine tooth comb wow that is hard yeah, so basically um henry bendix is explaining to this un council so basically Stormwatch is like not beholden to any specific government they are kind of they kind of operate above 
above governments. And this this series kind of gets political in that sense because a lot of the opposition that Stormwatch faces from, uh, like I guess, terrorists on uh, these terrorist organizations that we'll see them encounter on American soil. The terrorists, the bad guys, are portrayed as the ones that don't want the UN, don't want the UN controlled troops, which is basically Stormwatch, the, these U- United Nations controlled superheroes on American soil. And I just found that really interesting how this is all laid out the series because it, it there are definitely political elements to it and I find it interesting I mean that Warren Ellis kind of portrays out here Warren Ellis is, is not American but so he portrays the Americans the ones that the people that want uh, sovereignty they don't want these UN super soldiers uh, operating in our country those are portrayed as the bad guys did that did that strike you in any way Ramzo? Uh, I'm not surprised reading it because the the big thing about this story specifically, I had to do a little bit of digging. He was deeply trying to create parallels between what you're seeing right now. When what year? What year did this come out? Was this came like out in '96. Yeah, '96. So what are we dealing with at that point? We're dealing with Ruby Ridge. We're dealing with Waco. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with a lot of these, um, you know, sovereign citizen movements. And I think, uh, I think it's yeah. I think this came out after like the Oklahoma City bombings. So what you're dealing with is this big anti-American resentment. Uh, built across these fractured militia movements. Some of them genuinely just don't like the UN. Others are white nationalists. So he's basically, I I don't say that he's, he's incredibly biased. I will say that he's drawing the caricature of America from the view of a foreigner in Europe in the mid nineties. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's too over the top. It doesn't bother me, but it's I don't think it's um, it can be separated from his perspective as a European. It's a product of its time. Absolutely. Yeah. Product of his time and, and product of just kind of how he probably views America as, as a European or how he might view a more overarching government uh, sort of, you know, a, a UN or that sort of thing. I think Europeans probably are a little more inclined to accept and that sort of thing on, on face value and probably would see resistance to that as uh, possibly, you know being on the, the bad side of things, on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, but we learned from, from Henry Bendix that Stormwatch is um, now being split into three different teams. We have Stormwatch Prime. This is for basically a team for handling super thurman, superhuman threats in hot war situations. We have Stormwatch Black, which is the covert unit uh, for stuff we don't really want the public to know about. And uh, then Stormwatch Red. This is the, the most destructive members of the team that are there for basically deterrent and retaliation purposes. So they're, they're basically the nukes, the big guns here. Uh, meanwhile, like I mentioned earlier, battalion has been removed from a command from command to officer training. Uh, Synergy, uh, who is Christine Trelane, uh, she was moved from a field to a uh, from a field operative to uh, a recruiter, basically. Also, the characters Nautica and Sunburst were removed from active service and offered roles as combat intelligence analysts. Uh, we do find out later the reason these characters were removed from active duty roles is because they were in relationships with each other. Battalion and Christine Trelane, uh, Synergy are in a relationship, uh, as were Nautica and Sunburst. Uh, and uh, Bendix does not want people in relationships to be in battle, to be out there in the field uh, because they will get distracted by their you know, familial uh, relations or what have you and not be able to perform the necessary duties required of a UN-controlled superhero. So uh, what do you think of that? Just the, the idea that Bendix is this, uh, whatever he's trying to do here with Stormwatch, relationships, 
You're not, you're not going to be fighting then. You're not going to be battling. It's funny in a way because this is not your regular superhero team. Uh, you go to the X-Men, they're very much like a family. You go to the Avengers, they're a little bit more corporate. You go to the Justice League, and it's just a bunch of friends who can kind of come and go as they please. Stormwatch really is trying to solidify, listen, these guys aren't here necessarily because they like each other. These guys aren't here uh, just always out of the goodness of their heart. They're here to do a job, and this job comes of structure – and this job isn't just like any other job. It's basically a superhuman paramilitary organization. So it's interesting how they're able to weave in those what I call day-to-day issues that we might have to encounter in our own lives, whether in the government, the military, or just corporate America. Indeed. That was an excellent breakdown, Remzo. That's why you're here. That is why you're here. So d- I have my Rain Man moments. So so just to break down uh, who is on these teams, Stormwatch Prime uh, is led by Winter, who's a pretty cool-looking character, if you ask me, uh, along with Hellstrike and Fuji. Uh, I love Fuji. I think Fuji is badass. He's probably one of my favorite. Fuji's cool. Yeah, he's one of my favorite characters of Stormwatch. He's basically the big guy. Uh, Hellstrike and Fuji are actually similar characters. They look very different, but they're actually both gaseous. They're actually both made of gash. Uh, we learn later in this series that Hellstrike uh, has this basically this this force field around him that allows him to keep his body in this like human-looking form, whereas Fuji is entirely held together by a containment suit. Uh, otherwise, he is just made of gas. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I just love both these characters, actually, specifically, but I, I always thought Fuji was just, re- was just really cool. Um, and then Stormwatch Red is comprised of Fahrenheit. She is in command along with Flint and this Rose Tattoo character. So these are the ones that Bendix sees as the, the most powerful, the most most destructive. Uh, which is interesting because like, Fahrenheit and Flint, you can kind of see, okay, these are high-powered, but all we've seen of Rose had too, well, she killed a bunch of people, but we've just seen her as like an assassin. So it's not clear, you know, why she's being seen on this like sort of higher level of power. Uh, but we will, we will learn more and more about her as this goes on. And then we have Stormwatch Black, the covert unit, which includes Jenny Sparks, uh, this character Swift, and Jack Hawksmore. Again, we will learn more about all of these. Um, and then Bendix basically tells everyone, if I didn't say your name, you're out. You know, if you if your name's not on the list, you didn't make the high school play here. Uh, you are not going to be in Fiddler on the Roof. So a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of people are left out. A bunch of people are pissed off. Like Jenny Sparks is pissed to find out she's in command of Stormwatch Black. She's like, you brought me on here to be part of your team. No one ever told me I was going to be leading a team. Uh, Battalion's pissed because he's out of contact, uh, out of combat due to his relationship with Christine Trelane. Uh, Bendix is basically saying, look, there's no room for emotion here. This is a military operation. Uh, if you're emotional, you're out. Um, uh, we then see Christine Trelane. Now, Christine Trelane is what's called an activator. Now, um, heroes in the Wildstorm universe, there are basically a few different ways that, that, uh, superpowered creatures exist. There are the Daemonites and, oh, what is the, what is the name of the other, the... It'll come back to me later. Something with a K. Uh, they are basically the feuding alien races, the Kirin, the Kirin, something like that. Anyway, uh, they are this warring set of alien races that have kind of had their presence on Earth for thousands of years. And some of those aliens have, you know, breeded with humans. And all of those aliens or alien human hybrids have powers. This is basically the plot of Wildcats. Uh, and then there was also a comet that passed uh, across Earth, I think, in like the 60s or something like that. And that comic, 
there was something called the Comet Effect that gave people these powers or gave people the ability to have powers. Um, but uh, often these powers need to be activated. And this is my long way to tell you what Christine Trelane's powers are. She is an activator. She can take someone's latent powers that are within them and activate them so that they're fully developed. And uh, what she does, in case she comes up to Swift here. And she's like, hey, you know, just so you know, when when you were, you know, part of that comet, comic, comet effect, why can't I say comet, comet effect, um, you know, the, your powers actually were never fully activated. So uh, if you want to be part of this team, we're going to have to go ahead and, and activate you. So she just and, and Swift is like, she's like, by the way, it's not it's not really going to be fun. She's like, OK, do it. And she just like zaps her and, and uh, this character Swift, who we just saw with wings. Now she has wings and she's like on fire and turning into something. So um, all of this is still more easy to understand than Jonathan Hickman's X-Men. Uh, that, uh, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, yeah. Even just hopping in cold to this. You did that with zero charts. <laughs> no charts, no graphs, no blueprints, nothing. Nothing like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really not hard to follow, even because even when we don't know the, the backstory of the characters, I think Warren Ellis lays this out in a way that you don't feel intimidated. You're getting enough of an introduction um, to these characters through his storytelling that I didn't I don't know about you. I didn't find this difficult to jump into, even though this is issue 37 of the series. Yeah, it, this this feels like a good starting point for new readers. Uh, yeah, indeed. And this character, we then see this character Undertow. He's like going back to his unit. Uh, basically, everybody who is fired or not going to be on Stormwatch, they still get like free UN housing and all this. So he's going back to his his UN sponsored house, and it blows up. So under Undertow is uh, killed. Um, meanwhile, Germany calls on Stormwatch to stop this unknown superhuman, this uh, Superman, the the Ubermensch, uh, uh, from going on this rampage. And uh, so they head down. Uh, he is swatting them off easily. Easily, uh, all the members of Stormwatch here. This is Stormwatch, I think, Stormwatch Prime. And uh, until Fuji smash, I see. Fuji just smashes him down. Uh, we then cut back to uh, Stormwatch, to Skywatch, I should say, the satellite, where the weatherman uh, pulls this character, Dr. Martin Krug, out of cyrogenic lockdown. Um, and I guess he, he basically, this is how they store prisoners in this weird like i don't even know how to describe it but uh it's this weird i guess they're kind of frozen but it's not like they're frozen in ice they're frozen in in something i don't know something digital it's weird it's comic books why yeah because because it's comics uh meanwhile they are let's see the stormwatch team is is still battling uh the superman here and let's see how did they actually end up defeating this guy oh yeah fuji Oh, yeah, Fuji Smash, like I said. Um, the one thing I'll say about the artwork is there's a lot of implied stuff. I feel like between Ellis and whoever's actually drawing this, uh, it's not like it's disconnected, but, you know, between when the fight ends and how it, um, how the fight starts and how it ends, you kind of have to go back a few pages because, like, when, when did this part happen? Where is where's this going? It's not... I, I, I will say this definitely hits the the image comics tropes of its art first story later. And for a writer like Ellis, who usually is the all star connected to all the books that he writes. Uh, yeah, it's it's I don't think him and the guy were really on the same page. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, that's a fair enough criticism. They do, there is a little bit of it can be a little bit hard to follow uh, the actual fight scenes at times. But uh, how they actually defeat this Superman creature here is uh, basically, let's see, Flint or no, it's um, Winter throws his fetish. It's the thing that's basically like their Star Trek thing that lets them be beamed up and down from wherever onto this creature while Rose Tattoo shoots it into him 
And somehow this causes the lower half, just the lower half of his body to be teleported away. And um, that results in his death because because now he just has the lower half of his body uh, disappeared. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty, pretty gruesome death. That That is how we end uh, our first issue of Stormwatch. Uh, I should also mention uh, I, I cut away from it there, but uh, the weatherman shoots this guy, uh, Martin, uh, this Dr. Martin Krug, and sends him back to Cyrus. So, Cairo. So I'm not sure if shooting him just just hurt him. We said the shooting is off camera, but um, Bendix has this gun that like basically just like uh, beams into his hand, just the same way that the Stormwatch uh, team members beam in and out from when they're being. You know, they basically have the Star Trek beam me up, Scotty situation going on. Yeah, this is this is a this is a bad example of when you don't show and all you do is tell. Yeah, so you don't you don't actually really know exactly what happened there, but uh, this Martin Krug character did reference the Superman, this the, the Ubermensch, uh, as as father. He said, "Oh, father got out. It was some some kind of creature that that uh, I guess he was working on, or he had created, or had created him, or something like that." Uh, it, as governments as do. Governments do. It's not super important specifically what, where this creature comes from, but that is just our introduction to Stormwatch, uh, seeing them uh, battle this this uh, this Ubermensch creature. So, what did you just think of this initial introduction to the Stormwatch team? Uh, it was for 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 coming in mid series. You know, it's not very difficult to get where things are going. You've got a new creative team, new writer, new artist. Usually, this is where you do what I call a soft reboot in order to be a good landing page for more people to come in. So, with this, I did very little research on what happened beforehand. I did do like a Spark Notes version, and I don't feel like anything that came prior impacts this too much. It adds to the story if you have read it, but for people like me, that was like, I'm just going to start here fresh. It's pretty good. Uh, the actual way that the storytelling itself is is done like bendis is really good i don't i don't really remember this artist i don't actually think i i've seen any of their stuff other than here i think they did justice league at some point in the early 2000s uh otherwise um you know i i feel like they're not on the same page no pun intended like there's a little bit of a disconnect sometimes because you know it's the image trope art first story later but here you have an amazing artist I mean, amazing writer with an up-and-coming artist, so to speak. It's kind of like how when Alan Moore did Supreme. You, you've got, you know, this guy that really wants to highlight his art, but him and Alan Moore seem to be on the same page. With Warren Ellis and this dude, I, I, don't, I didn't get that as much, and because of that, it made it less of a, less of a captivating story overall. All right, yeah, but, uh, maybe a bit of a disconnect in the art. Yeah, like, I think the art is good. Like, I think the art fits the book well, but it is interesting. It is a different a different sort of approach to image where uh, at first they were all about the, the art. It was really just about, look, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane. Oh my God. And as you know, after that initial hype died off, they did try to bring in some uh, more well-known writers, both Alan Moore was Supreme uh, and some other books he would work on later down the road. I think he even did Wildcats at one point, And I think he might've had a brief spawn run. I, I want to say. Uh, and then, uh, I think and so. then Warren Ellis came in and, and working on a bunch of Wildstorm books. So unlike the initial image uh, push, these books were really being led by the writing uh, while they were able to bring in more up and coming artists to work with, the, with with those writers. But I, I do generally like the art here. We will get some other art later in the series. We'll see Brian Hitch come into this thing uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the art is, you know, the art my criticism is not the art. I think the splash pages are awesome. The action scenes are really cool. 
But when you pay attention, it disconnects with some of the dialogue and some of the pacing and what I think the intent of Ellis is. I think with Alan Moore, he could demand more of his writers because he's been really, really well established over two and a half decades. With Warren Ellis, he had done a lot of stuff before this, but he's not on the level of an Alan Moore yet. He will be, but he's not there yet at the time of this. Draw me a bloody swamp creature. Come on. Put some more, put some more details in there. Some more fruit, some more fruit on the un, on the under the arm. Do there. you Come know? On. Do you know who I am? No matter what, by the time <laughs> I get to the end of an Alan Moore impression, he's always Australian. Even if I start off six degrees of Russell Crowe. What happens? Um, anyway, <laughs> we are moving on to Stormwatch number thirty-eight. Uh, Weatherman is just giving his report on the murder of Undertow, and he is sending Hellstrike, Fahrenheit, and Jack Hawksmore uh, to investigate the murder. Now, he, I, I thought this is interesting. He he spent all this time laying out the three different teams, and now already there's like one murder, and he's sending out like a hodgepodge of the teams: uh, Hellstrike, Fahrenheit, and Hawksmore. They're all on different teams, and they're going to investigate this murder. So, what, what was the point of, of creating all these three? teams these separate teams if you're just going to start mixing and matching right away i don't know bothered me i feel like they just wanted to show them all off together yeah, that was one of those uh, times when i ask a rhetorical question and i wait for a response when there's really there's really no response required there because <laughs> there's no answer i'm giving i'm giving it anyway i think they just wanted them to be seen together it's like yeah we could pull them apart but we're not gonna what do you think of the character of Jack Hawksmore? Now, his origin story is that he was basically like kidnapped by these aliens uh, throughout his youth, and he had certain organs replaced with like alien organs. So he's human, but he has some alien organs, and those grant him some powers. But he basically feeds off cities. Like he couldn't even be in Skywatch. When he was in Skywatch, he starts to get sick, and they have to end up beaming him like back out and sending him to a city because cities power him, and he can like he can sort of like read through a city. So like when he's in a big city like New York, he has so much power like he can fly around jump around uh if you take him in the middle of the desert like he'll practically die he needs to be around cities buildings and people uh i think jack hawksmore is such a such a unique character uh especially in in a in a you know story like this where you know there's a lot of interesting characters but none and actually i should say there are a d- decent amount of somewhat unique superheroes in this book uh between you know the the gash giant fuji uh jack hawksmore jenny sparks uh i should i should give a decent amount of credit to the the variety of superheroes that, that we see here but uh, i think jack, even amongst those jack hawksmore is one of the more unique characters yeah i mean the the this is not this is not a criticism this is not because it sounds like i'm gonna be shitting on a lot of these people but like the the challenge of these writers especially in this era in the 90s is they're really trying to push the limit they're really trying to actually be original for once despite what some people may say about some of the original image titles that came out in like the early 90s but you know for him for example uh you know there's some powers that are just difficult to draw sometimes you know unless you have a full understanding of them i think telekinesis psychokinesis uh, you know, telepathy, that type of stuff. Those could be powers that are often hard to do with him. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's not done well, but sometimes for the reader, it could be a little bit unpredictable because there's no preconcept for us to follow this off of. So there's nothing to draw what you think these powers are. You're experiencing it really for the first time. And I think that's uh that that's a strength of the character and that's a strength of the book because they do that for many characters. So you're really seeing a lot of this stuff that might for you be like, I don't really know what's going on, but that's a good thing. It keeps you drawn to it. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, speaking of cool powers, we then go on to learn a little bit more about Jenny Sparks powers as battalion uh, kind of puts her to the test. 
and uh, she just kind of zaps him and lays him out. So she, she's no match uh, for Jenny Sparks. Jenny Sparks is actually known, uh, we learned about this later in uh, various comics, again, that, that kind of spring out of this, but she is known as the spirit of the 20th century. Uh, she is basically, a, a, somehow, a, she feeds off electricity, she needs electricity to have power, uh, and she can transport anywhere through electricity. So, like, if there is, like, uh, you know, a light post on a street, she can zap herself into that light post and, you know, zap herself out somewhere else uh, all through the using the electrical field. So I think she's a pretty, a pretty damn cool character uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, the team uh, goes to Clark's bar uh, for a drink and to bond a little bit. And uh, this is like, a, it's kind of like, a, what's the bar on Tatooine in Star Wars? It's, there's all these different, you know. The Moss Eisley yeah, Cantina. It's like the Moss Eisley Cantina of superheroes, yes. We got like this, this devil creature there. There's all these like random sort of uh, super powered-esque creatures in the background. Uh, one of these characters... Damn, I forget his name. This character in the upper left, I don't know if uh, in which version you're reading this in the in the trade or what. Anyway, there's one character that I totally recognize from Savage Dragon, and I can't remember his name. I want to say he's like Union Jack or something like that. Anyway, just as a random thing that I literally just noticed now. I did. I did not notice that. You prior. would not know. You never. I, I noticed it just now for the first time after having read this, you know, several times. Um, and basically they're doing some investigations on, on this and, uh, Maya and Carl, who were, I think they were Sunbeam and something else. They were, they were just doing intelligence and they found that, um, the explosives that were used, the C4 explosives used were from Americans. Um, and they also figure out that, uh, the security tape was, was tampered with. Jack Hawksmore figures that out. Well, okay. One, one thing that does kind of bother Uh me. And, uh, I think this might be the one difficult thing. They switch between their actual names and their code names a lot yeah yeah that is true yeah I, and that that can get a little bit confusing yeah i'm able to keep track of it i guess just because i'm I'm familiar with the characters but uh well i think jack hawksmore is just jack hawksmore i don't think he actually has a, a code name um, no i think I that's just yeah. it um you're too cool for that but yeah they, jack hawksmore is a cool name why is. change it exactly you don't need a name when you're already jack hawksmore uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, so yeah, basically they figure out who uh, they they arrest this like uh, the security guard who must have messed with the cameras, uh, and uh, Hellstrike basically shows up to arrest their perpetrators who don't want the UN taking over their damn country. Uh, Fahrenheit melts one of their hands, and then we see a scene where Henry Bendix, the weatherman, is. Um, is let's see he's he's basically threatening the u.s president who we don't see the president is off camera and he ensures the u.s president that there will be retaliation for this for one of their Stormwatch members so he's, he's implying that these are not just uh rogue perpetrators that he believes that either the president the u.s president the highest levels of the u.s government either knew or purposely uh, allowed this to happen allowed a member of Stormwatch to be killed and that is how we end up uh episode episode damn it i made it so many wow. minutes without saying it as Good how we end job. issue uh, 38. What do you think it so far as things continue to get political here? This is where it starts to piss me off a little bit. Like I I've said this, and I think we have a good track record Mark of being able to put our own biases aside, which I think we don't really bring up too much on the show. And we can look at these things objectively because it's always story first. If it's for the story, it's good. Now I feel a little bit lectured to, um, I'm right of center politically. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, as I look at this, it's very much what I think brought back, uh, you know, 
political dialogue, particularly pre 9-11, where it's like, uh, unless unless you're with with this whole like, you know, as George H.W. Bush put as, as if you're not with the whole new world order, there's something wrong with you type of thing. So immediately anyone that wants to criticize it, anyone that sees actual issues of a consolidation of power, especially from uh, supranational organizations and stuff like that, supranational, I think that's the term, um, international big conglomerate government entities, uh, you know, you're no different than like Timothy McVeigh and, uh, you know, all, all the, all, all the guys that were known for blown up buildings and stuff in the nineties. I mean, it's just one of those moments where it's like, you know, you, you, I, you had me and now you're kind of starting to piss me off a little bit because I'm certainly not like those guys, but at the same time, it's like you, you've paint, you've painted a lot of America with very, very broad breath strokes and not to pull it into what's going on today. But when you, when you call half the country basically, you know, domestic terrorists just because they think a certain way or voted a certain way, uh, that's not going to help you. I'm going to leave it at that. Fair enough. Yeah. I didn't take it as being lectured to as much as just feeling like, uh, Warren else is kind of playing out the themes of the time. But I think that, you know, his personal biases are probably filtering into a little bit of who we're going to see portrayed as more of, of the villain here, but it's already not so black and white because, you know, Bendix, you know, I, I wouldn't say Stormwatch is necessarily portrayed as as heroes, as, as the good guys or the bad guys. I, I'm kind of seeing it as a little less black and white than that. I, I mean, I, I think that you know we're seeing the complexities of of these situations where, and we'll see this throughout the series, where a lot of times the the characters, the heroes, uh, they they act, end up going and doing missions that they don't even really agree with, and they kind of start questioning what's going on here. Whereas we learn more and more that Bendix has some sort of machinations of his own. So because of those complexities to the story, I don't really feel like it. I, I'm being lectured to because it is more complex than just, you know, that simple uh, black and white way to look at it. Did Warren Ellis do preacher? No, no, that's, that's another guy. My bad. Anyway, I was going to say like, he, he's like the guy who does preacher who also did the boys. It's like, you know, your characters just because you're they're the protagonist, Garth, Garth Ennis, Garth Brooks. Garth, yeah. Garth Ennis, Garth Ennis, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks is a totally different book. That's a, a number one single, I think. Um, anyway, it's like for, for Garth, for Garth Ennis's books, uh, you know, just because your character is the protagonist does not mean they're good. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, Gar- yeah. that's a big theme of Garth Ennis' uh, works. I mean, he also did uh, Hitman, DC's Hitman, uh, which basically yeah. you know, about a super-powered Hitman looking at a lot of the same themes. So, yeah, I, I feel like Ennis is putting these themes out there and making them a part of the story. But I, I'm at this point not really feeling like I'm being talked down to or lectured to in any way. But I guess it's all, you know, it's all eye of the beholder. It might just be how, how sensitive we're all feeling that day. That, that's the point of art. If it's not provocative. It's not doing exactly. it. Exactly. And Remzo has been provoked. Uh, but I've been very provoked. I've here. been triggered. Uh, Stormwatch number 39. I'm going to try to kind of bounce through these a little bit more uh, more quickly on some of these some of these issues before we get to like kind of the, the crescendo uh, towards the end here. But uh, we see Stormwatch Black. That's Jenny Sparks, Swift, and Jack Hawksmore. Uh, They're in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, investigating this basically this uh, this police department that is being infiltrated with with superhumans and they're killing counterculture groups. Like they're killing protesters. They're, they're seeing a lot of people are turning up dead and they're tracing them back to these superhuman cops um 
Yeah, and basically we we, meet, we see these superhuman cops that uh, they crack down on these other cops that were filing complaints about them. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jenny Sparks and Swift and Jack Hawksmore uh, kick a bunch of superhero ass. They they beat the shit out of these uh, these like these bad superhero cops, basically. Um, we do learn a little bit more about uh, the comet effect that, that I mentioned earlier, how, how there are seedlings that were made superhuman by the comet effect, but it takes an activator um, to activate them. And But we learn here there's actually a rogue activator. There's someone out there that is activating uh, these people, uh, but is, it's not it's not Christine Trelane. She's the only known other activator. So there's so we, so we learn there's someone else uh, basically out there activating. Are, are, the activa- are the activators like more rare? I guess so, because there's only two. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the only activators that that we, because they think that Christine Trelane is the only activator. So when they find out someone else is activating Uh, people. Okay, I I did not, that did not, uh, that did not show up in my head. No, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so that's what's going on there. Um, Let's see. I just thought she was the only one they cared about. I didn't really connects that she's the she's for at least in all intents and purposes the only one Yeah, i think in this universe she is the only activator that we know of but then we learn about this rogue act- activator as part of the story right um, got it basically got it yeah and then basically yeah they stop these super powered uh, cops and they they also go into syro the ba- back up on Stormwatch. uh that is basically the, the summary of this issue um yeah it doesn't doesn't look fun like and then in syro they're basically like they put these here these people into like this this green goo and i guess it like Keeps them alive, but doesn't look very fun. And yeah, it's nasty up there in Stormwatch. They're not exactly. We're already seeing that like Stormwatch does some really nasty shit. They're not. We're we're seeing they're not the. I think these the first you know couple of years of this run, and I can't speak too much on it. I haven't read a ton of it, but I think this is more kind of like a, a straightforward superhero book. And uh, Warren Ellis is trying to bring in some some different themes, some nuance to these stories, where we're seeing that the world isn't black and white. Uh, Stormwatch may be our our heroes by title, but there is some nasty stuff going on behind the scenes, and uh, we can't really just say every every act we see from the quote-unquote hero side of things, the UN-controlled Stormwatch is the good guys. That's kind of the nuance I'm talking about because, you know, if it was just portrayed as Stormwatch is all right and Stormwatch is always good and Stormwatch always does the right thing and should not be opposed, I'd be a little more upset by it. Um, but because we do see that kind of nuance, we do see that Stormwatch is actually kind of evil itself, at least at least what Henry Bendix is doing up there. Um, you know, that that nuance allows me to, like, not really feel like I'm being preached to from any one side or the other of, of you know, of a particular issue. For, for this one, I mean, I'll even take it a step further. I mean, and this is why for some people who might think I'm a snowflake right now, like I'm okay if comics being political comic books have actually always been a political medium for many people. And like, when I look at this, I look at like, you know, in my mind, it brings up Gitmo, you know, there are many pros and cons for Gitmo. Uh, One, you don't like the idea of a foreign prison where you could get away with laws um, that you can't get away with in the in the United States. And at the same time, it's like, well, you know, we want to put them there because we don't want want to put them here. I understand both ends to it. And, you know, at least like how they treat Skywatch and everything. It's like it's just super powered Gitmo. Yeah, that, that's 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 a good way to put it. Yeah. Super powered Gitmo uh, and really nasty Gitmo, really nasty green slime Gitmo. Uh, moving on to Stormwatch number 40 here. 
Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, Stormwatch number 40. Uh, we see Stormwatch Prime investigating this plane crash, and uh, they learned there was this mutagen. This is in uh, Littlebrook, England. There's a mutagen that was in the air. And I guess this this mutagen is something called Gen Factor. This is actually something else uh, that we've seen in the Wildstorm universe that um, has created some other superpowered teams. Uh, there's a book- I remember that in Wildcats. Yeah, there was a Wildcats. Now I remember. There was a book called Team 7. Uh, there was a book called Gen 13. Uh, the Gen Factor. Factor is all this sort of mutagen that's that's related to their powers. So that's another way in the Wildstorm universe that you can uh, get power. So they're in this little town in England uh, investing in the, getting this thing. And uh, this mutant just like blows up a church. Uh, so it, it seems that this this plane blew up, but it also kind of like gave people some powers. But the powers it's giving people, it's, it's turning them into like these crazy freaks. Like we see this one guy who's like forming another face and he's turning into this weird spider creature. And yeah, it's not working out well for, for anybody here. They're not reacting to this mutagen um, at all. Well, and like 300 people died in the plane crash, but now these other people are dying uh, in the, in this village. So it's just, it's just a disaster. And, um, Weatherman Henry Bendix learns that uh, he's he's ready to blow up this place. It's called Gamora Island over this, and Gamora Island is run by this guy named Kazen Gamora. Now, ben, this is just a little reference. Um, Bendix says, "Oh, Kazen Gamora. Kazen Gamora is just John Cult from Team One in disguise." And Kazen Gamora is like, "No, I'm not John Cult. That's just a story they put out there. Uh, like John Cult tried to take me over. It's a whole thing. You probably won't get the reference, but John Cult is a character that is referenced throughout the Wildstorm universe." Uh, he also is a character that comes back. Warren Ellis actually relaunched uh, Wildstorm. I think it was back in mm, maybe like 2016, 2017 through DC with a book called The that Wildstorm. Was, uh, yeah, I think that. Oh, OK. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Stormwatch. Uh, Jim Starlin did the New 52 Stormwatch. Yeah, there was and a then New when 52 it came Stormwatch, to right. But then there was a. An, it, the Wildstorm. Yeah, it was, the, it was supposed to be a new line of Wildstorm books led by Warren Ellis. I don't know what happened because there was oh, well actually there was one spinoff. I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, it, it was a twenty. So like John Cole or something. John Cole is one of the characters that comes back in that in that series, basically. But yeah, that's where he finds like evil versions of like Green Arrow and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. If I yes, remember exactly. Yep. Yeah. So you read that. I, I remember. I well, I remember because I wanted to get into it, but they kept having a bunch of scheduling delays. Yeah. That, that was what I think kind of killed the Wildstorm universe because they didn't know what to kind of do with it. And then they were like, OK, you know, we can't really integrate it that much. So let's keep it separate. And then there were a bunch of issues because I remember they the same thing happened to Vertigo. They didn't know what to do with with Constantine Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pretty sure that while Constantine is in, you know, the the DCU main canon uh, now, if they ever bring back like a Hellblazer or John Constantine title, it's going to be under like Sandman universe and stuff like that, where it's not, you know, he could be in the DC comics, but his stories do not affect the DC comics anymore. It's really it's really weird. I don't like what they've done to them since yeah. that Wildstorm universe was like a totally separate uh, universe, like not even related. It should have to- it should have stayed separate. Yeah, it, it- that Vertigo and DC should have never been put together. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean that what Ward Ellis relaunch. I really enjoyed the Wildstorm itself book, the book at Wildstorm. But yeah, the the there was supposed to be a Wildcats book that sprung off of that. Um, I, I think probably an Apollo and Midnighter book, uh, who are characters that we'll see. We won't see in this in this volume, but next time we come back to Stormwatch, we'll we'll meet those characters. But those are DC characters as well. Now I think Apollo and Midnighter have both appeared in DC along with uh, Grifter, who appeared in. They Flashpoint. got kicked back out. Yeah. So so Grifter is back. Grifter is back. Yeah. But but Apollo and Midnighter got kicked oh, they out. Got boot, they got the boot. 
they got the boot. All right. Well, yeah, these these Wildstorm characters, it was bought in 99 by DC, but it was still a separate thing for a while. It was only in Flashpoint when they actually started to try to integrate these characters into the actual DC universe proper. And now they have disintegrated uh, most of them as well, except for, I guess, Grifter, apparently. So that's what's going on there. But anyway, back to the story. Yeah, this is all a long way to say that we. It, it's not clear if Kays and Gamora is really John Colt or not. And for the purposes of Storm, of this Stormwatch story, it doesn't really matter. Um, but Bendix basically threatens them. He's like, You're, we're going to retaliate for this. Like, cause he's, he's, you know, he's investigated this mutagen coming back to this cult uh, run by Kays and Gamora. Um, so he sends the red team of Fahrenheit, Flint and Rose Tattoo to Gamora. And basically they are there. This kind of reminded me of Secret War, of Nick Fury's Secret War that we looked at in episode two of this podcast, uh, where they're just there to murder people. Like they're like they're just there. A rose tattoo is a murderer. That's what she does. That's her thing. She has no no qualms about it. But Flint and Flint um, and Fahrenheit kind of have a conversation. Like they're not really thrilled with the fact that they're being asked to just murder people. Um, and yeah, Rose had two just, so while they're arguing about it, Rose had two just licks her gun and goes off. Cause she's just, she loves it. It's her thing. She loves murder. You know who she reminds me of? Did you ever watch Firefly? No, I never did. The, the, the chicken Firefly who's kind of just crazy and she, she's been created as like a killer. Uh, yeah, she reminds me of her just kind of brainless. I mean, there's something going on in there, but she doesn't really do much talking. She just goes around murdering. That's, that's kind of the vibe I get from her. Yeah. She doesn't talk. She just goes around tattooed and murdering people with the red hair, but I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a big Rose tattoo fan. I like the live your truth. Rose tattoo. Live your truth. The silent, sexy assassin Rose tattoo. But uh, so she has no qualms about what's going on, but, uh, yeah, Flint and Fahrenheit, they, they're doing it. They're blowing up buildings and stuff, but they don't. They don't really like. Is she a hero or is she just a killer? Rose tattoo. Yeah, she's just a killer. She's just a killer. We'll learn more about that more later on. But yeah. Um, So yeah, that's it. That's it for that issue. What do you think? What do you think about the the conflicts that these heroes are facing? I call them heroes. I don't think it's really that straightforward, but um, I want to like I like this is an interesting story. But, you know, for me, like my biggest thing is would I buy this? I don't like any of these characters. Mm -hmm. It's not that I think they're badly done or something but it's like i want to i want to connect with them i want to i want to i want to be rooting for them and while they're obviously fighting really really bad guys it's like when i when i had to ask myself like that was a genuine question like is she a hero or is she just a killer because i i i don't like her and that's not that's not saying she's a bad character it's just that I I don't feel like I would be rooting for any of these guys in any other situation. I mean, with Rose, maybe Jenny Sparks. With, I think Jenny Sparks is a genuine hero, but the others, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah, there are a lot of characters kind of thrown at us here, and so I think now, especially if we're coming into this series, like with the start of Warren Ellis's run, uh, it can be a lot to like you know feel any certain sympathy for any one particular character because we just don't know them that well. I think we kind of get to see some of their personalities as as we go along. Uh, but like with Rose Rosehead too, we're not supposed to know a lot about her, and I I, I kind of like that we don't. Uh, we just get some references. It's part, it's part of her alert. Yeah, and we there are references to like oh like you know. Bendix will say something or he'll think something to himself like, man, if only they knew what her deal really was. Like, so we know that Henry Bendix knows something about Rosehead too, knows more of what she's really about, but the rest of Stormwatch doesn't. And we also learn, I don't know exactly where it is in this, but we learned that Rosehead too, like, okay, they they all go out for missions. The rest of Stormwatch, they come, they hang out, they're they're chilling, they're playing pool, whatever, up on Skywatch, going out to the bar. Uh, Rosehead too, she stays in a cell, in a guarded, all the time. 
and she's not even allowed to walk around by herself. She has to be, have armed escorts if she's going to come out and, and join the rest of the team for a mission. So that's that's all we know really about about Rose Tattoo. But it's clear she's not just some ordinary hero. She is she's something deadly and something mysterious and something scary. Yeah, and, and I don't want to say like you know, I, like I like anti heroes. I like the Punisher. I like Suicide Squad. I like you know Thunderbolts. Uh, you know all, all those types of things because there's a, usually like a self preservation factor. Like with Suicide Squad, they really don't want to get their heads blown off, and you know they they're they're good established characters from other books. Typically, that's how I can connect to like Suicide Squad. That's one reason why it's hard for me to like these guys. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's only a few characters like this far into the run that I can really say, like, I'm finding likable. Like, there's nobody I dislike, but the ones that I'm I'm learning about, like, I, I, I really like Jenny Sparks and we see a little more of him later. Like, we haven't seen that much yet, but I, I really love Fuji um, and we get some personality about uh, some of the characters. But, yeah, there's so many that we're just meeting that and based on how the story is, is laid out, I also really like Jack Hawksmore. But yeah, it, it's we're just getting little flashes, little hints of their personalities. We're not really getting attached to any one character. I, okay, I Jack Hawksmore and Jenny Sparks. If you had them in the in the in the pilot seat for a lot of this, I think maybe it would draw more focus. You're gonna love the authority when we get into other stuff because that is basically this. As these time goes on, more and more of these characters, the 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 old characters, kind of get shuffled to the side, and more and more of these Warren Ellis original characters uh, kind of come to the forefront. So we see so much more from Jenny Sparks, even beyond what we're gonna talk about today. So much more from Jack Hawksmore. They really become even bigger characters as this goes on. While some of the other characters, without spoilers, let's just say they kind of fall to the wayside. Got it. So I think you will. Got it, got it. We'll see how your thoughts are at the end of this, but I think you will, to whatever extent you do or do not end up liking this, I think you'll like it even more afterward if you continue with this. Um, I can dig it. Moving on to Stormwatch number 41. This is where we really get more about uh, Christine Trelane and about how she's an activator and the comet effect and all that jazz. Um, But basically, uh, she goes out to activate. uh, She's trying to activate this guy, John Fleissig. But this guy gets activated by the rogue activator. Uh, So um, and basically she goes to like investigate him in Search's house and she finds pictures of dead bodies that he killed. So she's like, oh, shit. Like I was going to show up. She was showing up at this house to like learn about this guy to maybe activate him but then she finds out that this guy's a killer and probably shouldn't be activated except he's been activated like i said we see like uh we only see a glimpse of this like rogue activator he like meets this flasic in a bar and kisses him and that kiss is what activates him uh but basically uh at the end the end of the day here uh we see a little bit of like the romance between uh they're because they're allowed to like mingle on earth but the battalion comes down to have a little date in the hotel room uh with christine Trelane. uh but at the end of the day she just basically ends up deactivating uh this monster this 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 monster and uh the prime team shows up to clean up and they are going to zap him up to weatherman for interrogation so that was my summary of issue 41 so yeah, just just for purposes of time uh these this middle section here i'm probably just going to kind of give summaries of the issues or we're going to be doing a, a weird science style six or seven hour podcast which i just i don't have in me yet ram so maybe someday when we're making the big bucks i need way more steroids and cocaine for that i'm skippy and cocaine on steroids and steroids on cocaine whatever cocktail that you know people who never sleep have to take yeah. what do you think of this little side i call these side issues i think like this this middle section here we see a lot of like issues focusing more on certain characters and less on the overall team. So we're, we're starting to get you know, a little more of their sense of individual personalities and, you know, maybe certain characters we might like more than, than others. But what did you think of this? I, I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like the flow is skipped. 
mm-hmm. in a way. Like, you know, I, I think one of the best examples of how to do an ensemble book is really, as much as I talk shit about him, it's Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men and his Avengers film. There's a reason why you want to see them interacting with each other in in the same panel or in the same scene. There's a reason why you want to make sure that things are balanced so that way it never feels like it's all kind of you know, janky, kind of like Wonder Woman 84, where it felt like a bunch of little mini movies that didn't connect as well. Um, this I, I got I got to criticize for that because I I understand that there's a bigger overlapping story going on, but. I don't I don't I don't like the way that they structured this, I kind of feel like there's a big disconnect between what the artist wants to show and what Ellis wants to tell. And that just backseat writer here, they're kind of making it up how it goes, making it up. You think it's, yeah, you know, I I feel like they're real, like they're really trying to change things issue by issue in order to make up for some of the things that they should have probably done a while back. I feel like by now I shouldn't still be trying to figure out who these characters are. I think I should be wondering who they are, but at least a little bit more intrigued. And I'm not really that intrigued. I think that's a fair criticism. And, and, you know, this is something that is taking place in a monthly book. So, you know, we read this in kind of one sitting, like 14 issues, but this is taking place over like a year and a half. So maybe in real time, it might seem even like, you know, this has been six months and I don't really know that much about some of these characters. Um, I do feel like this, we're getting into the section of books where we do learn a little more about these individual characters. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to like Christine Trelane as a character. Uh, I'm starting to learn who Battalion is as, as a character. Um, but there's a lot, like there are, there are a lot of characters where learning about all of them uh, you can tell that warren ellis likes more some characters more than others like there's there's more there's characters that get more of a spotlight and i don't think it's a coincidence it's often the characters he created like jenny sparks is, is one of his characters uh jack hawksmore is one of his characters uh but yeah i mean i, I think that's a fair criticism going on i i don't i'm i think i'm more removed from it because i have not only read this entire run of 14 issues that we read today. This is Stormwatch number 37 to number 50 that we're going to look at today. Uh, But he also had another Stormwatch series that came out. So number 50 kind of capped off some things. And then there's another Stormwatch that's number at issues. I think that's issue number one through 11. I think there was another 11 issue run. And then he goes into the authority and then he goes into planetary and it just really builds out this mythology. And so I'm kind of looking at this from the the wider view where I see where some of these characters are going to go in the long term, and I'm seeing the longer build. But if you're just looking at this, you know, as your first time read as a superhero book, like, yeah, I can, I can totally see how there's, there's a lot of characters, but there's not that many that you, you don't know that much about any one character necessarily. Got it. But yeah, yeah, that's I a can fair see point. It. Fair point. Uh, moving on to Stormwatch number forty-two, we start super hot with some shit going down in Tokyo. As uh, yeah, you're right. They do use the names because I I even wrote down in my notes because I'm doing it too. I wrote Jenny Sparks, Hot Jack Hawksmore, and Shen Wien Len, who is Swift. But but they interchange the names so much, their real names with their code names that I I end up doing it too in my own notes. Um, Jack Hawksmore encounters this weird. So we see we we meet these weird like telekinetic Siamese triplets, and uh, and they were like destroying the city. And for Jack Hawksmore, there is no bigger crime than killing a city because city is life to him. It's literally life to him. He would be dead without city. So when when he sees these creatures destroying cities, you know he's just not cool with all that. Uh, and they kind of they kind of blast him away though. He's really no match for him. And then uh, Stormwatch Red then shows up to to sort of save the day. 
Um, let's see. We learned that this is all coming from this this doomsday cult, this uh, called Kodo, and they have brought these. They've basically created these like telekinetic triplets uh, to create chaos. Or something like that. You know, typical doomsday cult uh, type stuff. And they actually learned there are six of these triplets out there. Uh, They get to the compound of the cult and Fuji wants to handle this shit. Why? Because it's his damn country, damn it. He's Japanese and he his country is being disrespected by this cult. He's like, you know, guys, let me let me head in to do this thing. Let me handle this shit. Um, let's see. Hawk uses a uh, Hawksmore uses his fetish, like he throws his fetish at one of these triplets, and then Jenny Sparks like uses her electricity to, to zap it. I do kind of like how they use the fetishes, what they call the fetishes throughout this series, as a, a way they often use to like to defeat bad guys uh, in in various different ways. I, I find that just yeah a creative use of of these things that are normally just for for teleporting them around. Uh, Fuji has ends up having this core sort of deep philosophical talk, talk with this this cult leader of Kodo, uh, but basically we learn these creatures they don't even want to live like they are created and they are in basically just being tortured like their existence is torture so uh and and this kodo guy he just wanted foreign intervention and to lead japan to back into becoming a war state so he actually created these creatures um basically with the the intent of uh, it's kind of like a false flag kind of thing he wanted the Stormwatch. he wanted Stormwatch to come in and because he wanted the nationalist reaction from jap from japan and for japan to reform its military and go back to becoming a war state as it was under the emperor um and basically fuji said he's never going to speak of this shit again this shit went down and uh he didn't like what he saw so that's it so that's the end of that issue that was we learned a little more about fuji here what did you think of our, our our little foray into japan to to uh to see what Fuji's up to. Kind of heavy, but, you know, this is probably the most interesting part of the story thus far. Oh, okay. I will well, say that this is probably the, what, what it did for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying, I'm seeing this as like a bigger arc, and I'm I'm kind of enjoying most, I think, the these issues where we are just kind of keeping them more character focused. Like we're seeing several characters here, but this is, this is really more of a Fuji story. And we're really getting a sense for, for the kind of like, the kind of person he is, the, or the kind of gaseous person that he is. Um, and- I, I almost feel like what they could have done, this is something that some people, uh, I, they either really like or they really don't. I feel like per issue, and this is not a recent thing, this is something they've been doing for a, for a while now. For this issue, they could have, for, for I'm sorry, this run per issue, they could have had like 20 pages be like the main story. And then like five or six pages or however amount you need to balance off a full page count could be a second story with like little character vignettes. I feel like if they had been planting that more so, it might actually add to the flavor of the overall story instead of kind of throwing this in cold because there's a pretty hot story with a with a cold overarching plot at this point. Yeah, I can see how that could have been effective if if he's kind of telling this overall story, but then we're getting little snippets of the characters because there are there are a lot of like uh, battle scenes I feel like that go on maybe like that's the reason I'm able to skip a lot of this stuff in these recaps is and I think the battle scenes are pretty good I think they're they're kind of inventive but yeah there's a lot of times where they'll spend eight ten pages on a battle and I don't need to describe that you know panel for by panel for you guys uh, but maybe some of that could have been put into like some side stories for a little more character development along the way so we're not taking out a whole issue taking out a whole month just to kind of you know hear Fuji you know waxing philosophically with his cult leader uh, I find it interesting yeah. I find it good character building but I can certainly see uh, how the pacing could be difficult again especially if you're doing this month to month like man it's like all right 
six months in and I'm just now I now I finally have learned a little bit about Fuji. Okay, now I care about Fuji. I guess. If if I didn't if I didn't binge it, I don't think I'd be keeping up with this title. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think I have I was not reading this in 96. I have read this story a couple times this this entire run. I think I picked it up later in the run. Uh, and I th- and, and I think I did read The Authority and Planetary like, a- like as it came out. Uh, but this, I think I only went back and read. So I think I have only ever read this kind of as one one run, at least this, this particular Which I think changes a, changes a comic. I mean, that's how it is with TV shows. There are plenty of shows like on Netflix that if it was out weekly, I wouldn't keep up with it. But if the whole season is out at once, you know, kind of like how when the tradebacks come out, um, it, it's a different experience. Yep, exactly. Uh, so moving on to Stormwatch number 43, uh, good old Jack Hawksmore is flying around New York City uh, investigating a murder. Uh, I'm just going to sum up this issue really quick. This is just a Jack Hawksmore issue, basically. Uh, essentially, there's this, again, there, the rogue activator. As, uh, uh, we Well, at least that's what I think at first. Uh, I, I thought this woman that we saw was the rogue activator. It turns out uh, she is not the rogue activator. Uh, basically... Uh, there is this creature going around this with superpowers that's going around killing people. These other investigators are sort of covering it up and Jack Hawksmore figures out this is essentially, uh, they, they never come right out and say who it is, but it's, it's quite obvious. This is essentially the son of John F. Kennedy Jr. That has superpowers and is, is, is a murderous supervillain, but they, Oh, he's going to die tragically. Isn't he? <laughs> but they don't want anyone to know that they don't want anyone to know that he is, uh, um, <laughs> that he exists. They, they never wanted anyone to know that the son of a president existed. So the U S <laughs> government has been hiding the existence of this creature, uh, for all these years. Uh, yeah. And, and, and basically there's this, his, this creature's, handler is this woman who looks like Marilyn Monroe um, and, and she's basically made up to look like Mar- Marilyn Monroe uh, because like it's the like she says it's something like oh it's like it's the only face he'll respond to so the implication is that this super freak is the the child the love child of John F. Kennedy Jr. and Marilyn Monroe and um, oh. yeah. so uh, and that's why this woman, <laughs> this woman is not Marilyn Monroe but yeah they say that they gave this woman uh, plastic surgery so that he would respond to her basically and um, yeah along the way Jack Hawksmore gets into a fight with this like rogue uh, morgue attendant uh, and then he, that, that leads him to tracking down these investigators who are actually covering up the crime uh, and then uh Eventually, Jack Hogsmore uh, murders this fucker on live TV. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he basically just hangs him live on on television in the middle of this uh, this talk show, and uh, that ends our little adventure of Jack Hogsmore killing JFK's son. What would you think about this one? Best part ever. Yeah, I love I love this issue. <laughs> This is where, like I said, this is where I'm really enjoying these little kind of like, I call them side adventures into specific characters, I mean, but they are really uh, building more uh, towards the main story. And that is where we're going to go with our next issue, Stormwatch number 44. Uh, we start off with Battalion and Jenny Sparks just having a little chat. And this brings us into a retro Jenny Sparks origin story, complete with uh, a different like 70s style art. Uh, and, and Well, I shouldn't say 70s style. The art actually changes with each decade. Uh, and she was, let's see, like, uh, she says she was 20 years old when she stopped aging. Uh, and, and she said earth, earth stopped making sense around that time. So this is like, I think she was born right at the turn of the century. So this would have been like the 1920s and they kind of go through her history 
And uh, yeah, like each decade, uh, like the 30s here, she's kind of like, it's more of like a, uh, how do I describe the 30s art style? I don't even know how to, how to, the gumshoe, gumshoe detective sort of art style. Good, like good Dick, way to do yeah, it. Like Dick Tracy type art. And uh, yeah, I just really love this whole issue. There's there's also a noir, uh, or maybe that's the 30s one, is the, is the noir, the noir art where it, yeah. where it goes black and white. Um, she also, Jen, Jenny Sparks uh, murders somebody who just, uh, there's one scene, this is in the noir swing where she's like uh, interrogating this guy and she's like how does the city's best reporter get involved in a plot to re- to release cyclon b gas into a city orphanage and the guy just responds it's full of black kids and she says that's it and he says that's it and she just zaps him and just executes him right there she's like this motherfucker like no um yeah we we just learn a lot uh there's one scene this is like in like the 1940s or 50s or something uh she's british by the way she works for the british government and she meets uh this american friend uh from their covert services and they he says his name is baxter um, this is a character. I don't think his name is Baxter, but I'm, I'm, I thought it was like Jacob or something. Uh, maybe he was going by Baxter or maybe I'm just a little mixed up in this run of things, but this is a character from Storm, from Wildstorm as well. So they are, they are referencing the greater from Wildcats. I should say, uh, I think he's like the head of the Wildcats or something like that. Wildcats is a whole complicated, a whole complicated uh, the history, and it's 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 been made more complicated by the fact that I read that the Wildstorm book by Warren Ellis, and that brought all of the, a lot of those elements together. Uh, so it's it's confusing to me which elements are from the Wildstorm and which elements are from like the this previous Wildstorm universe. And if this isn't confusing enough for you, my friends, hey. Welcome to comics. This is how it works. But yes, this is definitely a reference to another character that is a big character in Wildstorm. Um, but basically, let's see. Uh, Jenny Sparks at one point has to kill this character um, called Able Eternity because he just kind of goes on a rampage. Uh, and then after that, she's so traumatized by that. He says she sleeps until the night. This took place in like 1968. She says, I was so upset. I slept until the 80s because <laughs> she's immortal. So when she gets, you know, and takes I, a nap, I almost I think we've all been through that phase. And uh, she, when she comes back in the 80s, uh, basically, so there was this thing called The Vent where, okay, there's a lot of references in her origin story to uh, dealing with things from from a parallel reality, a parallel Earth uh, called uh, Sliding Albion, or it's like sliding whatever. Um, like sliding is like the way of saying it's a parallel reality, and there's a war between Sliding Albion and Sliding Europe. And somehow within this war, they shot into our reality this bacterial muck that created a bunch of superhumans in England and uh, Jenny Sparks kind of teamed with those superhumans. Able Eternity was one of them. That's the guy she killed. Uh, they're basically like a Wildstorm version of like the Justice League or the Justice Society uh, in the 1960s. Then she sleeps to the 80s because she's so depressed by the fact that she had to kill this guy. Um, and she kind of deals with these other super. So basically, the 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 um, the people that got powers from this thing it's called the Vent. It gave them powers, but it made them sterile. So one of these guys, his wife went so crazy because she never got a kid from him that he went out and stole babies and pieced them together into a new baby for her. Wow! So that is that story. <laughs> That's the history of Jenny Sparks. Uh, what do you think of this issue? I would have. Yeah, I would have been planting more of these <laughs> stories. More so in the first three or four issues we looked at. Yeah, like I feel like this Jenny Sparks origin story, I guess it was hard because he, he tried to introduce us to all these characters. Basically, this was Warren Ellis' strategy. Introduce you to all these characters, old characters you might know if you followed it before, new characters he's throwing in, and then we'll, we'll, you'll learn more as you go along. It's kind of a different writing method. It's you're not gonna, I'm not going to tell you everything up front. These are characters you're going to learn more about 
when I feel like it, when I have time, when I decide to lay out these story. And I think one thing about a lot of these issues, they could have happened in any order, you know, like, like the Fuji issue, the Hawksmoor issue, the Jenny Sparks issue. They didn't have to happen in this order, which it's which makes them feel like filler issues to an extent. You know, it makes them feel him feel like he's just fleshing out his run. Yeah. This is why I'm this is why this is why I'm saying I feel like instead of having like one long plan, they were they had a long idea and they were fixing stuff. As they kind of went issue by issue, you think it was more like, hey, I just created these characters. Then it's like, wait, so what is Jenny Sparks story? OK, I need to come up with a Jenny Sparks origin story. So yeah, I mean, it. this feel this feels like it's all done as a response to some of the things that people are seeing. Obviously, I have the I have I have the. You know, I I forget the word. Uh, I'm lucky I can read all these at once as I did about a week ago and I could kind of see that. But even if I'm just trying to do that, like month by month mindset, I'm looking at this and it's like this feels pretty piecemeal. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially in this kind of middle run here where we're we're kind of we've we've gotten seeds of a more cohesive story. I get the luxury of hindsight. Yeah. That's how yeah. I put it. I get the luxury of hindsight. They're seeds throughout. Like they they wrench, they mentioned this rogue activator a couple of times, but I, ultimately these stories. Oh, I just forgot about her. <laughs> oh, rogue activator. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. That's a thing. Structure so. wise, they feel like filler, but at the same time, these are like my favorite issues. Actually, I, I think. And t- t- oh yeah, uh, and so these far. are these are the standout. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love the, the standout Sparks issues. Issue. I just love like the different the different art styles that they. they I, I feel okay. This is me playing backseat writer. If I'm gonna do this as an ensemble book, I would have her as the primary protagonist, and everyone else being support for her overall storyline. You could still have the single issues dedicated to different people, but I wouldn't even do that. I would have half the comic, half the individual book be the main story, and then have the second half of the book be a shorter intro story. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, though. She does actually... That is where this goes. Even in this run, we, we kind of get a sense of it towards the end that she is becoming more of the main protagonist. And that yeah. that, that trend does continue. So I think long game, he is doing kind of what you see, but he's, he's getting us there. He's he's very slowly transitioning us out of the Stormwatch of old by integrating these new those characters into with these new characters that he is eventually having take over the book. He's just doing it. He's doing it in a long game way. He's really, he's really drawing it out and really having you slowly learn about these characters as they take on new roles as you you kind of start to you want like like you're saying right now you you feel like jenny Sparks should be more of the main protagonist but i think i feel like that's part of the storytelling here like as you learn more about her he makes you want to want her to be the main protagonist so then when she does get get her big moments later like i think there's more Uh, impact to it i don't know if he planned that out but well when you put it that way that actually makes a lot of sense so i could say okay that's pretty good because if he's wanted me to kind of instinctively go to her as the protagonist He's one. I could say that because she is the most compelling person. That is very much. She is I'm the person it. who who's really and doing I, and it. And I yeah. think he does it in a way that it feels more natural. Like, OK, I'm going to go uh, do a do a pro wrestling analogy again. When in pro wrestling, when they bring in a new a new wrestler that they want to push, they want people to to really like that wrestler. Uh, there's a couple different ways they can do it. They can either come in and beat you over the head with it right away and be like, this is our new guy. This is our number one guy. They they make him win every match. It's so obvious that they want him to be big. Riri Williams. <laughs> Riri Williams. That can work <laughs> sometimes. but that Or it can backfire, though, because if a fan, if the audience feels like this is being pushed on me too much, they 
can be a, there can be a backlash. So like Roman Reigns, when he was first coming becoming a big superstar uh, and being pushed so heavily, the fans actually started to boo him because you know, he was winning all his matches. He was being portrayed in every way the big big superstar should be portrayed. But the fans were reacting negatively. Why? Because it wasn't didn't feel natural. Uh, it was being forced upon them. Where at the same time, um, Daniel Bryan was a very popular wrestler. Like the fans loved Daniel Bryan, but he was not being pushed. He was he was he was being kind of pushed down in favor of Roman Reigns being pushed to the forefront. But the fans got behind Daniel Bryan, and he would and, you know it, it was to the point where the the fans got so behind him that when he really had his huge moment, I mean they were so ready for it. And and you can say, and I think it's if we're looking at wrestling, like uh, they didn't necessarily plan that out with Daniel Bryan. That is just something that kind of happened naturally, and then they finally ran with it. Uh, I do think in this case, Warren Ellis is really planning this out more. I think he's he's not beating you over the head with Jenny Sparks. He's not showing you, here's Jenny Sparks. Oh my God, she's the main protagonist. Love her. She's one of many characters that he brings in in the beginning and introduces you to, and then you learn more about her as you go on. So then by the time the moment comes when she does become more, goes more to the forefront, does have her big moment, which we'll see later on, uh, you're like, yeah, I knew it. I knew she should be the center of this book when she w- really wasn't necessarily seen as that in the beginning. That's the way I take it. And and considering my respect for Warren Ellis as a writer, I have to think that he did actually plan, plan this out a little bit. He wanted you to root for Jenny to become the forefront of the book well with with that line of logic that makes perfect sense so Remzo's completely changed his tone on the book now after my analysis I think we'll see uh moving on to number store uh number 45 uh this is like a another again we're doing this again another kind of battalion uh focused issue uh he's tied up we we kind of start hot again uh this is something Warren Ellis does a lot too he'll start off hot uh he'll just show you action and you don't know what's going on and then you'll either get a flashback or the characters will explain what had been going on to get to that point which which I really enjoy. I, I, I like that that sort of storytelling. Uh, I think he leans on it a little too much. It almost seems like every issue is like, "What's going on?" And then we learn what's going on. Uh, but I, as a general storytelling device, I, I I do you know like his use of use of that just to get us into the action right away. And, and it's like, oh, how do we get here? Uh, as opposed to just the, the straight up linear. This happens. This has some happens. This happens. Storytelling. But um, we then learn what happened. Um, is that he was just strutting around in this place called Constitution, Alabama, which again is like a very Warren Ellis sort of, I feel like, okay, this, this now I do feel, I guess, talked down to a little bit. I do feel like Warren Ellis is just mocking like the U.S., like a stereotypical U.S. Southern kind of political place being called Constitution. You know, I just, I don't know. I'm taking that as, as a, a little bit of a quip and it's in the South and, and what have you. Uh, and if the women are blonde, the men are fat, yeah. everyone is stupid and yeah. everyone is, you know, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't like that in comics. I don't like that in movies. Mm-hmm. I, you know, this, I take a little bit more offense to I'm, I'm, I'm a Southerner. So this actually bothers me. Yeah. And this is of course is where we have these anti United Nations quote unquote terrorists that I just want the UN out of their country. Uh, again, I'm not supporting their actions here. Their actions are terrorists in nature. Uh, but again, he, I'll say it. Fuck the UN. Yeah, but again, he is portraying the UN as the clear good guys, at least from their perspective that they, from the perspective of, you know, of these terrorists now, cause the, the, the terrorists are being portrayed as bad guys. But again, at the same time, you know, Warren Ellis does give us not, you know, he shows Stormwatch uh, going and, and murdering 330 civilians. So he's, he's not, showing the UN as necessarily good, or at least Stormwatch as necessarily good uh, on its surface. But but yes, I do feel a bit talked down to it in this, in this part of it. Yeah, like this might not be UN propaganda, but it's certainly not in favor of the, the opposition arguments in the book. Yeah. 
But basically, these these terrorists were going to set off a bomb anyway, and then they just happened to see battalions strutting around, uh, you know, just taking a break in life. And they're like, hey, we got to use this opportunity. That's fucking battalion from Stormwatch, and he doesn't have his suit. So they had some, I guess, some inside intel on battalion, and they know that uh, while he has psionic powers, it's his suit that really amplifies the powers and, and lets him to, you know, use them properly. Uh, so they see him without his suit, and they're like, ah, we, we can take this guy out. Um, we'll, so we're going to kidnap him, and we're going to tie him to this bomb and really tie Stormwatch uh, into, into this whole thing. Um, yeah, because I guess they're basically false flagging this to to blame an incident on Stormwatch to, to create more anti-UN, anti-Stormwatch uh, sentiment in the U.S., essentially. Uh, but little do they know that Battalion, while his powers are amplified by the suit, he still has powers without his suit. So it takes a lot of effort, but he is able to break himself free, and he does uh, end the attempted false flag. Uh, but the, the news story that, that comes out here um, still leads to this representative from Constitution Alabama uh, sponsoring a bill because this Stormwatch agent was involved in in this incident uh, and he wasn't, you know, it was in civilian clothing. He wasn't supposed to be down there doing anything. Uh, He sponsors a bill to bar Stormwatch UN soldiers from operating on American soil and well, I mean, Battalion did stop a terrorist act. I, I, I will say he did something good, but ah, I don't know if I'm against that bill. Why should they be wandering around, uh, you know, just, you know, with impunity uh, op, uh, op, doing operations on U.S. soil? Why should they be? Am I supposed to be the bad guy? Because I kind of agree with, with that, maybe. Am I, does that make me a hit? We're the bad guys, Mark. Make me f- We're the bad guys yeah, now. So I don't know. I, I, overall, I'm not taking this as too condescending. It's just Warren Ellis' storytelling. You, 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 see, you see where I'm coming from, though? I think this I one laid it a bit thicker than prior examples. This one was a lot a lot thicker than earlier, yes, for sure. Before it was just kind of an offhanded line and now it's it's really the center of, of the plot of this this issue. Uh but yeah. Like if I'm not your hero, don't that doesn't mean you have to make me your enemy. This is true. This is true. Uh we then go to Stormwatch number 46. And man, I love this cover. This cover with Rose Tattoo. Whew. I'm a Rose Tattoo fan. I'm not sure if, Hell I'm not sure if you got yeah. That. Um, the strong, silent, kill you type. This is yeah, where, yeah. This is where we kind of head into our our actual like finally into like our our main storyline that kind of wraps up this run. Um, and I, I wrote down the first thing here. Why does Rose Tattoo always need an armed guard? Well, we're we're gonna find out. So Rose Tattoo again, she's not allowed out. Uh, without armed guards, but she uh, comes out of her cell here, and she was, you know, about to be taken out for a walk. She basically goes on walks uh, with ar- with armed guards, but now she she grabs this soldier here, the Skywatch soldier, and kisses him and drags him into her cell. And I, I mean, he's definitely not following his orders, but I can't really blame the guy for getting sucked in here uh, to Rose Tattoo. Um, meanwhile, mm-hmm. Winter is taking this, this is kind of, I, I really enjoy this issue. Actually, Winter takes the whole team to this bar in Kazakhstan to bond. And he kind of explains the story behind this bar, how there's, there's heaven, there's hell. And there's, uh, you know, there's certain wavelengths of energy where you cannot be in heaven or hell. And, and basically this is a place that people go to have a drink before they strap a nuke to themselves and try to cheat not death, but cheat being sent to heaven and hell. Uh, that that's basically the the backstory of this bar. Um, so uh, basically, yeah, the, the gang's just hanging out, getting drunk. We learned that Hellstrike has a gaseous dick, um, he, which he threatens to uh, take out and unveil to everybody. Uh, meanwhile, back at Skywatch, we we now start to 
learned that uh, through his own uh, sort of thought balloons that Weatherman has been sort of plotting all along. That he's not just he's not just uh, straight on the up and up here. He's he's formed these different teams for a reason. Uh, he even you know he kind of like references uh, that this is all part of a greater plan. We don't know exactly what that plan is, but um, we're, we're definitely being told. If it wasn't obvious before, it's very clear that the Weatherman has has been you know he's been plotting some things all along, and he thinks very highly of himself. He even thinks to himself, "There's never been anyone like me before." Um, I thought it was a pretty funny scene back in the bar where um, Winter, like he thought he just had this great idea to all have a bonding night, but then he learns that oh, Jenny, Jenny Sparks already had a night at the bar with a bunch of them, and oh, Fahrenheit already had a bar a night at the bar for everybody. He's like, "Wait a minute, you guys have already been going out and like doing all these things together." He's like, "Nobody invited me." Like, yeah, Winter, you're basically you're basically the only one that hasn't been hanging out with everybody. And you're not the fun yeah, one. Basically, him and Rose Tattoo are the people that no one ha- hangs out with. Um, that says a lot. Yeah, I feel like Winter is like Cyclops. Like he's like the leader, but he's not like he's not that cool, and he's not friends with everybody. Winter has far more redeeming qualities than Cyclops. Oh no, he's he's way cooler than Cyclops. Let's let me be clear here. I actually like the character of Winter a lot, and he'll have a really awesome scene later. I don't think I know a single person that genuinely says, "Yeah, Cyclops is cool." Um, we then learn that Rose Tattoo, uh, completely like. Sl- I don't know if he's, I don't think he's dead, but he's just sliced up everywhere and has blood every, everywhere and he's just been chopped to bits. Um, and Bendix is like, you know, uh, yeah, just, um, yeah, just take him away and take that security guard, the security guard that found him. Uh, yeah, go, go put her in isolation. She's going to be detained. So he's, he's just covering up for Rosad too. Uh, the fact that she just like totally slaughtered this guy and to the point that he's, he's, sending away the, the person that found it so that there's nobody knows about it. Uh, <clears throat> he then learns he's so, uh, he, he's looking around uh, and someone says to him, uh, he's gone. And he says, impossible. Give me the visual. And uh, basically we learn that uh, this is someone called the high, um, a, a character called the high. And uh, all we know is Bendix has said, well, he thinks he's gone to them. Uh, we don't know who them is, but uh, he does say that Rose tattoo has to go get him. Rose Tattoo is going to be tasked with killing the High. That's all we know. We haven't learned much about it. We're going to learn more as we go on. And uh, the issue ends with Stormwatch, you know, having a little have a little beach day together. So uh, what do you think of this issue? I would call it the team bonding issue, uh, where it, it kind of sets us up for this story by uh, by showing us, uh, by showing that Bendix um, is going to be sending Rose Tattoo to kill this guy, the High. We don't know, know that much more about it. Just a tease to that, but mostly it's just this, this bonding team issue where we are finally seeing a bit more of the team together yeah i i think uh i think with these vignettes per issue per book i think they've been if this is definitely aware when i was going through it i'm like oh this is a bit more interesting if they do another one of these i uh I, I think it's like okay now it's now it's time to get back to the main story. Yeah, it was it's a good change of pace and I think a good uh, more sort of mellow issue before we do really get up next uh, into the really the the meat of of the main story here that that really these last eight eight nine issues have just been really building up to. Uh, back to Stormwatch, Stormwatch number forty seven now. I believe we might be getting Brian Hitch art at this point. The problem with the the problem with the trade paperback is you don't get the credit on each issue. Yeah, it's the majority artist who typically does. They've only, they've only started getting about that recently, where they actually include everybody. Yeah, but the cover is by Jim Lee and Randy Elliott, though. So they brought Jim Lee in for this one for for the the crescendo of this run. I do believe the art is different here, so I I, I think this might be Brian Hitch at this point. Um, anyway, or he might not even do the the rest of the the. Uh, I know he does like the the next run that starts with the Stormwatch number one again. But anyway, the art is uh the art's badass in this issue. I really love it. 
it really makes me want to know who is this issue by. I'm actually going to look it up right now because uh, live research, Remzo. Why don't you rant about something? Why, why don't you tell me how you're feeling about the Stormwatch team do, at this point? Do, 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 do. They're not very likable. They suddenly started getting interesting towards the end of the run. It's do, so hard do, to find do, credits do, for, do, do, for books. Do, is, is there, a, is there a, like a, a main website to go to for this stuff? Do, do, do. Comixology? Comixology, Stormwatch number 47. I feel like Jim Lee is actually doing some of the interior art here. That's why I... some of it, like I think they may have jumped between allowing like the inkers to do some changes enough to get art credits. It just keeps sending me back to Amazon, which doesn't tell me anything. Anyway, there's a change in art here, friends. <laughs> and the art's badass. I think the art gets really great in this issue here. Yeah, this is this is the memorable one. Like, is it Jim Lee's art? I honestly think Jim Lee is working on the art of this. Why can't I find this information? Why is this so hard? Can someone tell me? Fun fact, the name of the theme song from MASH is Suicide is Painless. Because suicide, it's actually, suicide is painless. It comes in many phases. See, you learn so much about life, so much about the world around you. Thank you for being here. I give up. I tried, guys. I tried. I can't find it. That really bothers me that they don't give me. Never, ever, ever say that we don't go far and beyond what you want from us, listeners. Yeah. Outside of just tracking down the actual physical copy, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to find uh, find uh, the actual art artist on this issue at this point. It's it's quite upsetting. Anyway, moving on. See, now I'm just going to be bothered by this the rest of the day. The rest of my day. We'll find we'll find it like two years later. You'll be waking up. Ah, I remember. Like, is there not a comic book database? Like a, just a database that tells you who is in, who does every issue? Like who the so So the answer is, is the, the, the answer is yes, but they're not always that great. I see. And they're not really updated. I see. There's a, there's a site called comics.org, which is just a comics database. Uh, let's see if I can go for it. Now I'm, now I'm, now I'm all on a mission. Like I'm really bothered by this Stormwatch number 47. Okay. Click on that. What happens? Stormwatch number 47 promo ad from back publisher. This doesn't, this still doesn't tell me. It doesn't tell me anything. Tells me nothing. Tells me absolutely nothing. Now it's telling me about gen 13 for some reason. It's telling me about a gen 13 number five. You see, you see what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Oh, this is bothersome. Anyway, I guess I'll just move on with my life because, but I, it's going to bother me the rest of the day. You'll try. You'll try. Uh, so Bendix, the weatherman, forms a composite Stormwatch team to go deal with some uh, weird threat in Serbia. Basically, Hellstrike kills a lizard creature, uh, and reality is getting weird in this place. This place they've gone to in Serbia, like, like I don't know how else to describe it. Re- reality, there's like a portal there, and creatures are coming through it. And this creature that comes through it, we learn, is a Daemonite. Uh, that is one of the alien races that is at war here on Earth, uh, as mentioned uh, earlier, that we see through the plot of the uh, Wildcats series. Uh, but portals keep opening as these like kind of twisted creatures uh, keep coming out and uh, sort of attacking the team. 
Um, basically, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Portal keeps opening. Twister creatures keep attacking the team. <laughs> Man, I my notes got really messed up here, so I don't know what the hell happens here. But basically, that is all basically what happens. It's basically just a... a, a, a Things are yeah, weird. It's an issue-long battle uh, with these various creatures. And Hellstrike at the end, not Hellstrike, Winter just basically does some big blast and, and kills them all. And uh, yeah, that that's the end. That is the end of our issue. Issue number 47. Okay. Now, as we go into... What the heck? Okay, that's why I have to go to the other volume now. They they really did these volumes in a weird way too. Volume one, it, you'd think they would just do the rest of his run in one volume, uh, like 37 through number 50. No, they do number 37 through number 48, no, through number 47 in one volume. And then volume two is issue 48, 49, 50, and then one through 11 of the new series. I have no idea why they split it up that way. It makes no sense to me, um, but that's what happened. Before we get into this final run here, now that you've kind of, we've gotten our character issues out of the way, our, our sort of bonding issues out of the way, we're about to go uh, really into the, the main storyline to wrap this thing up. What are your thoughts thus far? This is a drag, man. <laughs> like, this has a lot of potential, but... um. You know, I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll, it's got a lot of potential, and I'll leave it for my rating. All right, we'll save the rest for the end. Uh, but Stormwatch number forty-eight. Okay, now I believe finally we are definitely going into some Brian Hitch art here, and I like Brian Hitch a lot more as an artist than a writer. I don't know how much experience you have with Brian Hitch, but I, I think he's a I think he's a pretty. Oh, his alt his his art on the Ultimates comics are are breathtaking. Yeah, I think he's an awesome artist. So we're seeing, I think, some of his art here uh, creeping in here. And we start off uh, with Jenny Sparks uh, being attacked out of nowhere. An assassination attempt on Jenny Sparks. Uh, this guy first stabs her with this one thing that he explains later stops her from turning into electricity while the other three uh, sort of poison darts are are what's killing her. Uh, while Jenny Sparks is just... is. Barely holding on to life, but she is able to uh, finally zap herself, uh, zap herself out of there at the last second, uh, and with using like a nearby uh, lamppost that she was able to sort of drag herself to. So, but Jenny Sparks, the spirit of the 21st century, almost lost her life here, um, which you know she's she's hard to kill. That's one. So we know that this guy um, must know a lot about her because uh, he had you know something to take out her her main power uh, before he went to actually kill her. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Christine Trelane, they are, they have this Fleissig guy. Remember him from the Trelane episode? They are basically using this scanner to just like scan his brain. Uh, and they basically find an image of the rogue activator in his mind. And, and he says, she says, we've got the bitch Jackson, Jackson being a battalion. Yes. They do a lot of this Jackson King battalion. You kind of got to like know who these characters are. Um, a lot of the times when, because they do really interchange the names, which is something I didn't really notice until you pointed it out. Um, Weatherman is now giving a full briefing on who the, on this person, the high, this creature, the high. Uh, basically, he was fired at our reality from a parallel Earth in 1910. He's basically Superman, but from a parallel Earth instead of from uh, an alien planet. But same idea. He's super powerful. He says his power is commensurate with the Majestic, who's another p- a character that's been uh, throughout Image Comics. And I, I believe I believe appeared at DC Comics as well. I could be wrong about that. 
Um, and basically, he was a hero uh, for in like the 1930s and 40s. Uh, but the U.S. government's kind of covered him up. Like people had spotted him, but he was more of like a myth and a legend than someone that, like the public fully was aware of. Uh, he spent 10 years on top of a mountain in the Rockies, and now he's gone. One day he just left. Um, and the one thing he says, he says uh, he's, he's got the whole team up there that he's briefing, but he says Jenny Sparks is not to hear of this. So for whatever reason, Jenny Sparks is not supposed to know about the high. Uh, we then start to meet uh, the members of the high's little group here. We meet this character called the Doctor. He's basically this uh, this shaman type creature. Uh, we see this woman, this like warrior woman named Rita, who's I would take her as kind of like a Wonder Woman knockoff. Uh, we're basically meeting like evil Stormwatch, evil Justice League. Um, uh, Earth three. What are they called? You know what I'm talking about? Owlman and, and that whole crew. Oh, the the uh, the the bad justice. League. Oh shit! The I'm having a blonde moment. The the you're having one too. The crime syndicate. The, the crime, crime syndicate. syndicate. Yeah, these guys kind of remind the me. The crime syndicate. Oh, dun dun dun. These guys kind of remind me, at least at at first, of like the crime syndicate. Syndicate. They seem to be a lot of like. Now, I feel like I feel like such a moron because I just put this crime syndicate limited series that comes out in March on my poll list. That I'm looking forward to. I've, I have always liked the crime syndicate in every iteration they've been in. Ju- Justice League Crisis on Two Earths is probably my favorite animated DC film. That I have not seen, but I've hardly seen any animated films. So that's, oh, that's it's why. good. One day, one week, I'll just have to, you know, get a bunch of get a bunch of pizza toppings and then dive into all the all the animated movies out there. Just just binge for just you know um um you know put your put your phone on airplane mode, close the blinds, tell people you're dead, just watch that it. Would be all. the healthiest thing. I I could probably really use a therapy like that. Um, yeah. But anyway. Instead, I'm going to dive back into the rest of this Stormwatch run, uh, and uh, so this guy Malcolm, he is Malcolm, comes up to the to this compound where these guys all are, and we learn that he is actually Jackson King's brother, and the High wants to learn about Stormwatch from him, uh, and Malcolm's like, "Yeah, I'll give you all the information you want. Screw Stormwatch. I don't even care about those guys. I want to join up with you guys." And the High's like, "Well, here's the thing. Um, we can't really trust what you tell us because you could be a spy from Stormwatch." He's like, "No, no, they kicked me out. I don't. I never even liked those guys. I was never even really part of the team." He's like, it doesn't matter. They're not my friends. And the high's like, look, I, I get what you're saying, man. It doesn't matter, though, because even if you think you're telling us the truth, they could have implanted false memories in you. There's really no way we can trust what you, you're saying. So it takes a lot to join the He-Man Woman Haters yeah. Club. And they say, so uh, the blind is going to have to extract the information. Now, the blind, <laughs> the blind is the guy who assassinated Jenny Sparks. He's kind of this badass looking dude with this just like he's got his eyes covered. He's kind of like um, I don't know, kind of like evil, an evil daredevil, I guess you might say. Um, That's a good way to describe yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I guess he's blind. And he says, sorry, there is no other way. So we know the blind is is, is about to really tear into this guy. Um, and uh, I guess Wish, they said Wish deactivated his powers. So I guess it's Malcolm King had powers. So Wish is that is the rogue activator that that they were referencing earlier. And apparently, when you're an activator, you can also be a deactivator. So that's how Christine Trelane was able to deactivate that guy earlier. And Wish deactivated this guy. Uh, we meet the engineer. The engineer is basically this this being uh, who's using nanotechnology to create plant life all over the earth or something. That's part of their, their plan here. The high just wants to make the world a better place. Apparently the backstory is he was sitting on top of that mountain in the Rockies. He was feeling, you know, he didn't want to be part of this world anymore, uh, but he was basically sitting up there for 10 years thinking, just thinking and coming up with plans for how to make the world a better place. Um, that's what he was doing for 10 years. And I guess when he left was when he, he realized it was time. He had figured out the whole plan. 
Um, Thank you, psycho Elon Musk. We also meet this character, Smoke, who's kind of cool. I like Smoke a lot. He's kind of like this, uh, kind of like a noir type character, um, but he's uh, he's kind of like made of smoke. I don't know how else to describe him. We meet this creature, the the Eidolon, the Eidolon, who is basically died and went to hell and came back or something, and he's here to deliver one message to humanity that there is no God. Uh, so they're kind of like going on a rampage around 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 the Earth uh, and drawing. Now that's down. a Warren Ellis character right there. And then uh, yeah, for sure, that is a Warren Ellis character. The Weatherman then turns. This is all like the the Weatherman is is talking to Rose to tattoo here, and she says, "Well, how can they be?" stopped rose and rose just says kill them all uh, and and then we then go into our our next issue here stormwatch number 49 uh what do you think of the setup of this the kind of new group of, of villains this is finally we've had some like minor threats to the characters here and there well i can say it's it's interesting it it, it feels like it's finally picking back up that's that's my and this is where we'll record and that's my thing about this. Like, this has been like real zigzaggy, like up and down, really interesting, really boring. The The structure of the stories and, you know, I'm not saying that every artist, every writer should have a very cohesive, big storyline, but this all feels very chopped. So like, this is a good part, but like it, when it comes to my end rating, I don't think it's going to do much to necessarily bring it back. All righty. Well, we are spoilers of how it's gone. We be. are we are heading towards the crescendo here. Uh, we see Malcolm King is just being absolutely tortured by the blind. He has like wires in his eyes and his ears and his neck. I mean, it is it is nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, the high then appears in public and he introduces himself as John Cumberland. He's and he kind of makes a joke. He's like, you know, the high is not referencing anything you think. He's like, I didn't even smoke marijuana until the sixties. Uh, he basically gives a speech and he grabs a bunch of flags from the UN and he he basically just burns all the flags uh so I, am i supposed to like the hike <laughs> i kind of i kind of dug this a little bit sounds like a bro yeah and apparently the high and crew know everything about stormwatch they know all their weaknesses um uh, thanks to the information they were extracting uh from malcolm king uh so stormwatch then shows up to confront confront the high and uh yeah the appendix basically just beams them right down uh, and uh they are no match for him at all i mean uh he basically just like spit he gets hit slapped in the face by fuji or like smacked by fuji uh and like basically just spits it looks like he spits like a tooth through Fu- fuji's suit and then he takes a uh, hell strike and like is able to grab his force field and like kind of like bend him around. Uh, Cause like I said, Hellstrike and Fuji are both made of gas. So Fuji's freaking out. Cause now he's got a, a hole in his containment unit and his containment unit. Like he's literally leaking out of his suit. Like he is made of gas. So now he, his himself is leaking out of his suit uh, while like something similar is happening. Um, like Hellstrike isn't leaking, but he's just being uh, torn apart. Cause, cause, cause the high can just completely manipulate the force field that holds his gaseous form together. Uh, but then Winter comes in, and Winter is actually able to put up a fight here. Uh, Winter and the High really go at it. They have a serious battle, um, and um, Winter's power is to like absorb power, um, and and he can like send it back. So when the High hits him, he absorbs the power, but he can hit the High right back, like utilizing that power. So they're kind of like caught in this loop. Um, so it's kind of like a Captain Adam situation. Yeah, and Winter keeps absorbing the energy, but the High and he's like, "We can do this all day." And High's like, "Well, yeah, actually, I, I'm you're you're hitting." 
hitting me, but uh, you know, you're, you're still taking damage each time that I hit you. You might be absorbing the energy, but you're still taking damage. So he's like, I'm gonna win this battle. He's like, I can, I can do this all day. The high is basically saying, like, you're not, you're not gonna be the one coming out on top of this if, if you want to play that game. Uh, Jenny Sparks sees the high giving his speech on TV, and she recognizes him as John. She just yells out, John, and she freaks out. Uh, meanwhile, this is crazy. Back in England, uh, we see the doctor, uh, one of the other uh, characters here, and the doctor is uh, releasing a DMT bomb, basically in England. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are are with DMT. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, read about it, anything like I've that. I've watched a lot of Joe Rogan. Or if you've simply watched a lot of Joe Rogan, but a city of people who are ingesting DMT, whew, that's... Um, London's going to be a weird place. Let me let me just say that. It's going to be a giant rave. Yeah, they're going around. Members of this group, are which, which they never really named the group, but they're going around um, doing different weird things around the world. Uh, like uh, this Rita warrior chick is going around like saving Chinese baby girls from this cult of people that like kills babies, kills female babies. Uh, Wish is messing with the, the minds of these like alien human hybrids. And uh, they're basically messing with governments everywhere and in various different ways. Um, this is like that song we didn't start the fire yeah. except in the world. And the blind, the blind, there's a line here that's so funny. And the blind, he doesn't do anything at all except dream. <laughs> and then we cut uh, to the high bursting in, uh, bursting into where the blind was torturing Malcolm. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, I didn't tell you to do all this. And then and Malcolm just has knives sticking out of him. I mean, he, he's just been totally tortured. Uh, and he's, and you know, basically uh, at the same time back on Skywatch, Battalion learns that Malcolm was down there. Um, and uh, so he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I can't believe they have Malcolm. Like I'm going to, I got to have to get involved in this. Uh, Meanwhile, weatherman is telling everybody, okay, you're going in for a kill mission. You, it is time for you to go down and we're going to bring in, uh, we're going to bring up Stormwatch black and we're going to send everybody down to take, and this is a kill mission. We're going to kill this whole group because that's the only way they can be stopped. And, um, and she basically says, yeah, we're bringing them, everybody up except for Jenny Sparks. And the orders are to kill. And now we head into issue 50. And now um, the uh, these members of this group are kind of, again, just they're, they're doing things to cause attention and, and sort of like tear down institutions, whether it's governments or religion. Like um, uh, the the Adelon is at this that thing in Brazil, that big like Jesus statue in Brazil. And he's just like burning it down. Um, so they're, they're getting a lot of attention around the world. The high unveils his plans. He basically says, you know, the engineer here, he is going to seed uh, nano technological oasises around the planet. So there'll just be plants and, and food and everything. The doctor here, he's going to teach you all about natural resources. And me, I'm going to talk to you. I, I thought that was so funny. He just the high I said, me, I'm here to talk to you because I guess the high is he's wearing something that lets him translate every language. So he's going to help everybody communicate with each other. And they basically want to uh, bring in this utopia. But Weatherman watching this, he just responds, bastards. He is really pissed. But he's not pissed because the high wants to change the world. Uh, the high actually seems to have pretty good intentions here. Um, Bendix is pissed because... He basically, he says, this is his quote. He says, I won't have them changing the world. Not yet. Not like this. So Bendix wants to radically change the world too, but he wants to do it his way. He wants to be the one doing it. He doesn't want these guys out there doing it. Um, I also noted here that Wish has crazy sex influence powers. There's a scene where she's just talking to the high and then suddenly because she can like manipulate how how what's going on in people's brains. It's part of her power too. And she basically like turns on all the sex 
drive things in his brain and like and to the point that he can't even move uh which i thought was a, a pretty interesting use of his power uh, of her, of her power um let's see stormwatch now shows up at the paraguay base and goes after these bastards uh starting with a uh, smoke and rita we see let's see hawksmore swift and and winter show up to and just pointing guns at them meanwhile uh fuji and flint show up to take out uh the high and wish and they basically just like slam them both into the ground uh but they both say too like they're both they're having this conversation again about the morality of things like they're like i don't think they're dead yet and they both say like well i'm not here to kill them i don't care what weatherman says like i'm not here to need needlessly kill uh meanwhile jenny shows up to confront weatherman and she is pissed off she wants to know what the fuck is going on she calls him you bald git um and uh, we then see Rose Tattoo materializes. Now she's wearing these, like, pastel pasty things on her boobs. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, uh, but she has less clothes on than before, so I'm okay with it. And uh, she is there. She materializes behind the Adelon, and we assume that uh, he killed her. Meanwhile, Battalion, because he's learned that Malcolm is down there, he holds a gun to someone at Skywatch and says, beam me down, motherfucker, because I witnessed I witness Sam. I, I, I picture Samuel Jackson playing this guy in the, in the Stormwatch movie. Um Basically, beat me down, motherfucker. Jenny Sparks is is then kind of telling the story about how she met the High when she came to the U.S. to investigate a ship from a parallel world. We actually saw this in her her little issue, but we didn't get the full backstory. So now we realize that's when she actually met the High and became friends with the High. So she's known this guy for like you know eighty years at this point. They go way back, uh, and she tells the story of how the U.S. government and you know, she had kind of a tearful goodbye with him as well when he decided to kind of go off the grid. Um, like the U.S. government had convinced Americans the High didn't even. Exist exists they covered up that he fought the nazis and helped them win world war ii and he was so pissed so he just quit and just went off the map and the weatherman's like yeah i already know all this shit and uh jenny and he's like she's like what how do you know all this shit she's like she go oh, oh rose tattoo already already told me and and she's like what do you mean rose tattoo doesn't talk and bendix just like smiles with this crazy smile and he's like oh she talks to me she's always spoken to me and then we get a, a henry bendix flashback from the 60s when he's just like a government agent of some t- of some kind and he comes upon uh this woman who is just killed surrounded by all these dead bodies and he says you know that's all rose does you see she all she does is kill she's the bell dam sans pate i don't know what that means she is killing she is pure and ageless she is an idea a spirit she's not a human at all she's been here forever and i fell in love with her instantly so rose tattoo is basically the personification of death she is death that has taken on this form and that's what she does uh but henry bendix when he met her in the 1960s on this mission he immediately fell in love so that is that is the backstory that is why henry bendix has always protected her has always kind of kept kept away from what she really is that she is the personification of death uh, obviously didn't really want the rest of the team knowing that the personification of death something that has no morality is just nothing but a killer was uh was residing among them so to speak which is also why she always had to have armed guards and what have you i think government employment is the greatest thing for the embodiment of death <laughs> yes I think that's a, that's a fair analysis. Um, but yeah, uh, we then see the the blind has now... Oh, wait, actually, I'm skipping ahead here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Winter actually offers... Now we see some complexity here. Winter is offering Rita, Rita and Smoke to disappear. He's like, look, Weatherman sent us to kill you guys. I don't th- want to have to kill you guys. Um, so maybe we'll just tell them you're dead uh, because I don't, maybe you guys are actually doing some good. So like, there's different like takes here. Like some of the Stormwatch members are like, maybe these guys aren't so bad. They're just trying to kind of save the world. Whereas other ones are, are more definitely bad. Like we learned that wish, 
uh, they, we, they learned about the rogue activator wish, but the, like uh, Blind and Rita, they had no idea about wish going off and activating people. And uh, they never they didn't realize that the Blind had um, killed Jenny or had, uh, attempted to assassinate Jenny. He kind of did that on his own. Uh, so we're learning that even within this group, there's a lot of people kind of doing their own things. And um, let's see. Uh, battalion, battalion, like I said, tells Bendix to fuck right off. He's like, Bendix, like ordering him back, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not coming back here. Um, yeah, they learned that, like I said, Rita had no idea about wish, uh, wish being the rogue activator, or didn't know about any of that going on. Um, Weatherman orders them, uh, wish. She basically orders wish transferred into deep space. And uh, Jenny's like, what the fuck? So they basically put the fetish on her and transferred her to deep space. So she just dies out in space. And Jenny's just like shocked by by how brutal the weatherman is is being uh, with this group. As Bendix just smiles, he's just thrilled with the whole thing. He's having a blast. He's he's loving using Stormwatch, every Stormwatch character and capability for what he really wants to do, which is take out this group because uh, he wants to change the world his way, the weatherman's way, not the way these guys are doing. Uh, we also learn more about Rose Tattoo that she's reported in most cultures. This is through the conversation. Uh, she's reported in most cultures. She is she is death. She is the spirit of murder. Uh, again, Winter really wants to work with these guys. He's like thinking like you know um, th- this their world doesn't sound so bad. Um, but again, Bendix, what we hear from Weatherman, he wants the world to change, but he wants it to only happen on his terms. And there's a little uh, speech from the Weatherman here that I, I took a quote out of. Weatherman says, "Love doesn't work. Freedom doesn't work. All we use freedom for is to." Kill kill each other. I'll change the world. No one will die unless I decide they die. And I wrote right here, so yeah, Weatherman is fucking nuts. <laughs> uh, <because laughs> he just looks so maniacal at this point, and you realize, like, he just sees himself as you know, he sees the world as having so many problems. He uh, he sees all the problems that many of other people see, but he thinks these solutions that our people have are stupid. Freedom, stupid. Love, stupid. No, only an authoritarian, only someone like him. And how many times have we uh, seen this throughout history? Only someone like him. Only he is the one that should be able to decide because, you know, because he's smart enough. He's connected to everything. He's got these crazy weird machines on his head. You know, so he's the one that should be in charge. Uh, but Jenny is not having this. Uh, Jenny is going to kill him. Uh, she calls for this, uh, this, uh, so I think he calls for this, this Krug maneuver is called, is, is how he creates this magic gun that we saw like up here. I'm not really sure how it works, but it's this, is this gun that just materializes into, into his hand. They never really explain it much more than that, but we saw that like 10 issues ago too. Um, and one of the Skywatch guys is like, Oh, come on, weatherman. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but that's, that's what I say in my notes. Come on, man. Yeah, and, and weatherman just kills the guy. So now weatherman is running around chasing Jenny sparks. Cause he also did something. He powered down the station and he powered down everything in the station so that Jenny has no power. Cause when she has no electricity, she basically is, is powerless. So he's now just chasing her around the station. Like, trying to kill her at this point um the, the uh, like i said the the eidolon is dead they learn and they say yeah rose tattoo can kill anything because they said well wait he's already dead he's like he's dead and came back from the dead they're like yeah rose tattoo she can kill anything uh the blind this is when the action really just picks up like the blind takes out battalion with his poison darts um the high we also find out the high didn't even like i said earlier i think i mentioned this the high had no idea that the blind had tried to kill jenny sparks jenny was his, his longtime friend he so now he's pissed at the, at the blind for trying to kill her uh hawksmore Jack Hawksmore goes after the blind right as Fuji bursts into the room. And like this, this shit is just going down. Like all these characters are coming together and, and battling each other and alliances are, it, it's, it's very blurry because this is not just Stormwatch versus these guys. Uh, this team of is, is, is kind of realizing they have people in there that, that are kind of going against what they wanted to stand for. Like the, the blind was bad. The wish was bad. Uh, meanwhile, winter is kind of sympathizing with these guys and kind of wants to join them. So there's, there's a lot of complexity here uh, in this big battle. 
battle. Um, but meanwhile, yeah, the weatherman is just maniacally hunting down Jenny Sparks, who comes upon a bunch of green of bodies in this green slime. So when weatherman powered down the building, uh, all these bodies kind of just like fell into the slime. And now all these people that were help being held in Cairo are are dead. And uh, weatherman is just shooting flunkies now. Like she's just killing everybody. He's just c- completely gone nuts. Uh, and Sparks uses the power from Bendix's transfer bay. He's trying to transfer out of there to uh, he, to power the station back up. And she zaps <laughs> Uh, weatherman she zaps henry bendix presumably kills her kills him on his way out uh but he uh, on his way out i guess he he purged the log somehow and jenny just says he ends this issue saying if you're alive i'll find you uh back at the base in paraguay the shit is just hitting the fan uh smoke actually goes and kills the blind uh he says like wow we were so busy looking at the world we didn't stop to look at each other so he they didn't see the bad that was within their own group and then his head explodes why because rose tattoo is has showed up complete with uh, tape on her tits for some reason and uses her magic rose tattoo gun to kill smoke. So smoke is now dead as one does As one does immediately following that Jack Hawksmore comes and snaps rose tattoos neck. So even the living embodiment of death can be killed. So Jack Hawksmore has now killed rose tattoo. So people are just dying left and right. Um, the engineer, he still wants to activate his nanotech and change the world, but hammer strike, boom, a missile that, uh, that, um, Bendix had launched earlier lands right on the engineer, kills him and sets off this acid bomb, which is affecting everyone except for the Stormwatch field officers because they have already been immunized against this thing. Uh, so this bomb is just, is killing all the nanotech. And now the high is like, he's just seen everybody die. His whole team has been dead, all his plans. And he's just furious. So he just shoots straight up and he's just flying right towards Scott. Skywatch, fully powered up. He's going to kill everyone on Skywatch. Uh, you know, now Jenny Sparks is basically taking control of Skywatch. And she they're saying, like, you know, he's going to kill all of us if he flies in the station. So she orders them. She's like, okay, you got to raise the storm door. She's, she's hoping he's not going to die. She's like, try to make it flexible. Uh, they're like, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. But uh, basically, he just goes... Psh! splat and he just splats and dies like a bug on a windshield uh and jenny sparks puts out a cigarette and that is the end of storm of, of Stormwatch number 50 um what was very much a slow build really finished up with some some serious action especially in this issue this is an extra length issue and i don't know i know you didn't love the pacing all the time didn't love you know necessarily how things are going i'll get your full grade before i go to mine but i i do think that these last couple issues the action picked up so much and maybe it was too fast you know maybe we just meet all these characters and suddenly they're dying um, I think that that probably could have been done in a, in a more drawn out way, but I still really did love uh, this last issue. This this really to me was just a, a, a great a great to kind of way to wrap up everything that had been built up over uh, you know these last twelve issues or so. And uh, I really enjoyed Jenny having her moment and really coming up and taking command. Like by the end of this thing, it seems like she's basically in, in charge of of Stormwatch of Skywatch. She's basically taking control, taking out the Weatherman. Had her moment, the moment that we've been rooting for this whole time. Uh, so Remzo, I'll get your score and then we'll come back for mine. I, uh, I I try and stay consistent with my grading for the story. It's is this good for new readers and is this good for readers who are more you know into the lore, into the mythos, understand what's going on in this canon and previous stories and what they need to know. Basically, jump into this. It succeeds at both. It really does. It succeeds at both. Uh, what I think is its fault line is the is is the the way it was paced, the way it was structured. 
Um, you know, when I'm reading a story and I'm like, I don't know if they actually planned it out this way or if they've been doing things issue by issue to kind of meet the readers in the middle of what they expect. That, that's a bit of a problem. Um, in terms of, you know, that itself, uh, you know, this is 12 issues of slow burn. They set up characters that you wouldn't think would take the lead. They end up taking the lead. Jenny's probably my favorite character in the book, but throughout it, um, you know, some of the, some of the political messaging, and this isn't a, Oh, I don't like this person or that type of ideology. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how, how do you treat your readers? And, you know, some of my favorite writers are, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, for example, Brian Michael Bendis and I do not agree on politics, but when he writes politically charged stories such as Secret War, which I think is the gold standard for us, um, you know, you could talk politics, you could talk about controversial things and, and be respectful to the reader overall. He succeeds at that, whereas Warren Ellis here doesn't. I still really like Warren Ellis. As I mentioned, his Invincible Iron Man run um, just completely changed the character. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. I like Warren Ellis. I don't think this is his best moment. And I think, you know, just from an outsider looking in to this, I don't know. There's probably commentary on it. Maybe, maybe not. I think him and his artist don't connect very well throughout it. Um, I think that that makes it somewhat of a, of, of a difficult experience to read, especially in the first five or six issues before they start getting into the vignettes. So I'm giving the story a three. I'm giving, uh, I'm, I'm giving the art a three because it's, uh, it's, it's nothing great for me. It's generic from the time. Uh, throughout the multiple artists ending with Brian Hitch, I was able to, uh, you know, quickly pull up some stuff to look at the latter issues. It's good. It's not great. I could think of other writers who have done this. And if you were to ask me if I would, you know, collect certain books or titles based off one or both of these artists alone, maybe not. I'm giving the, I'm giving the, uh, the art of three. I'm giving this, this run, uh, from Warren Ellis, a total of a six out of 10. Wow. One of your, one of your lower scores, I would say over the, at least over the last few, uh, few issues, few issues. There I go again, few episodes. Uh, okay. So let's see. I, I think I view this very, very differently than you um, for a number of reasons. One, I've read it a few times, so I know where things even go even beyond this. And I I am very much immersed and a fan of the greater Wildstorm mythos that Warren Ellis built out of this. Uh, again, he has another Stormwatch run with a new Stormwatch series starting at an issue one after this. And then... Uh, goes into the authority, which I love, and planetary, and these characters just grow and grow and grow. Uh, like Jenny Sparks, Jack Hawksmore, these are characters that that really stick around and become more and more important as time goes on. Uh, so I think my overall view may be somewhat colored uh, by that as well. And I, I think there are the pacing is weird. I, I will say because there's like six or seven issues where it's just kind of these one-off issues, um, and where we're kind of learning it about characters individually, and maybe in a month-to-month fashion that could be tough. You know, you might go three issues where you know you haven't even seen half the team. Um, but I do think that Warren Ellis from the beginning had a greater plan here. It seems he is making references throughout a lot of things that that do end up sort of paying off. I will say I think the the last few issues where we introduce, where we meet the high, we meet this whole other team that he has that felt very rushed. That felt like, okay, we're getting to issue 50. We wanted to end a, a certain run at 50 so we can restart a new era of Stormwatch at number one. So we're just going to have to kind of get there. And I, I feel like that wasn't built up enough. That team of villains wasn't built up enough. Uh, they weren't really necessarily even villains, which is okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of nuance, but I felt we didn't really understand 
any of their motivations or really know where they came from. Even the high's motivation wasn't really dug into that deeply. Uh, just that he kind of went off the map and wanted to change the world and wanted to make things better. But we never really got a, really a deep sense of, of those characters at all. So that that made their sudden deaths uh, a little less impactful. Like it was shocking to see how Smoke was killed by Rose Hat 2 and then Rose Hat 2 was killed. Like I really love that sequence where it was just death after death after death. But I think those deaths would have been more impactful had we learned a little bit more about those characters' motivations. Maybe I would have had some sympathy for the character of Smoke and his death would actually be shocking to me. So just little things like that, I think could have been done done a little bit better. Um, so I think that a lot of your criticisms are fair. Uh, that being said, I really do enjoy this run a lot and I enjoy where he ends up going with all of the other stuff in there. So that may influence my score a bit, but that's okay. But I, I'm going to give the writing uh, a bit higher than you. I'm going to give the writing a four. Um, and that, that might seem a little high. Um, but I, again, I think he, Warren Ellis is like a really big picture guy and I'm, I'm really seeing the big picture. I'm really getting the build. I'm really feeling like I'm slowly learning about these characters and maybe that, that pacing isn't for everybody, but I enjoy the long game. I enjoy being able to look back from the view of having read the authority and planetary and look back on some of the seeds being planted here and really get a, a greater appreciation for it. And maybe, you know, maybe when you get through all this, cause we're going to come back to this or maybe you won't want to. I don't know, but we're definitely going to, to at least go into some of the authority stuff later on because I think that stuff is is really uh, where things really pick up and hit their stride. So I think when you get the full scope of this picture of the universe he's building, I think you might might view it a little bit differently. But I, I think a lot of your criticisms are valid, especially as a new uh, reader who wasn't knowing about uh, and about these characters or about this universe. This can be a lot to take in, a lot to try to absorb, and a lot to try to wrap yourself around to actually feel emotion for these characters. Uh, that being said, I, I did I did feel very strong emotion like around Jenny Sparks confronting uh, Weatherman like I felt that had been built up pretty well um, and you know the Rose tattoo maybe we didn't learn that much about her but her death felt really impactful to me as well it's like oh shit the personification of death can just be killed like that um, so I found the moments in this issue of the battle like I found them shocking satisfying could have been done better but that's why it's a four that's why it's not a 4.5 or a five and mm, my four, I, I, I gotta be honest, even now I'm wavering. Like, does it deserve a four? Maybe it should be a three, five. But I'm gonna stick with the four because I do have an overall appreciation for this run. Uh, the art, I did like the art overall. I, I didn't see the disconnect that you saw maybe as much between Warren Ellis and his artists. It's a little harder to grade art when there's a couple different artists on here. But overall, I liked it. I'm not gonna put it at a three. Not the greatest art. So I'm gonna give the art a 3.5. So score for me, four for the writing, 3.5 for the art, 7.5. Probably one of the probably one of our our biggest gaps that we that we've had. This is probably the the biggest schism we've had. So seven point five plus six is thirteen point five. Not too bad. I, yeah. I'd say that falls below maybe our score our our recommendation of like you must read this. So I would say this would probably be more of a if you if you took if you liked my takes more read it if you uh, felt you might be more affected by Remzo's criticisms and not get as into it maybe don't. Uh, but again, I'm looking at this as a part of a greater package of a, you know, sort of the, the beginning package of a, of a greater universe that I've, I really did come to appreciate and, and love uh, reading how, how Warren Ellis played the whole thing out over the years. So I think that that does uh, bias my scores up a, a tad bit. But overall, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. And I think it's pretty enjoyable. Um, it's pretty a modern superhero book. It, it killed a few hours for me. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, I, I feel, I feel like it was fine. Like, you know, Maximum Carnage, we, we shat all over that book. That, that book is like like the, the, the running joke that I will say I regretted reading. Like I truly, I didn't regret reading it cause I, I do the podcast and it was a fun podcast to do. Uh -huh. but I can't, 
I would probably never knowingly go do that again. <laughs> yeah. Like this is one of those things where it's like, well, you know, I did it. I watched it. Okay. Yeah. And that's sometimes what you need from this stuff. That's why I watch movies where it's like, okay, it, it was, it was that it killed time for me. This was a time killer. And I, I don't, I don't say I hate it or not. I am interested in a lot of the stuff that's going on. I think I will want to go ahead and catch up with the authority. Should I go with the authority or do I go with Stormwatch issue one after this? If I want to keep going. If I were you, just to make it a complete story, I would go with Stormwatch issue one. Uh, it's the rest of the second volume there. So it's Stormwatch issue one to 11, and then it goes into the authority. I would read the whole thing. Okay. okay. I'm going to keep I going. I think I'm going to do Maybe that. this will be a clear, clear continuous candidate, too, I'm, after I wrap up some Savage Dragon, because I'm going to keep going into, into this whole thing, because I, I love how, where everything goes. Cool, cool. Yeah, this is like, I, I look at this as like a chapter chapter one you might say of like, I don't know how you divide the trilogy, but you know, this is, this is chapter one and, and Stormwatch number one kind of starts sort of a, a longer chapter two. And you might call like the authority and sort of slash, I guess the authority would be the like chapter three planetary is kind of an offshoot of, of the authority. It's not a direct connection. It's in, it's in the same universe, but yeah, I think you could call this, this part one and then Stormwatch number one through 11, part two. And the authority is like a part three. Although the authority kind of went on for for quite a while, but anyway, we'll get into all that stuff eventually. Uh, but yeah, this is the, our first step into Warren Ellis's Wildstorm universe. Uh, one of the bigger divides we've had, uh, and one of the longer shows we've had. But I'm still impressed that I was able to go through 14 issues uh, in uh, in less than seven hours, let's say. Uh, but Remzo, that, that's all I got. Anything else from you? Hey, folks, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to us. A five-star rating and review on iTunes lets people know what we're doing here, helps us get in those trending top charts, and really helps the show out. You have done so much to us by listening, sharing with your friends, our patrons, of course. We can't do this without you. This is all about you. And uh, we'll be back in about a week. And please, we have a whole bunch of content coming out on secondprintcomics.com, whether you're wanting to get into fan films, cosplay, other reviews, uh, you know, cool stuff to really build up your fandom i really see this as a launching pad for people that want to get connected as our mission has been let's go ahead read comics and change the world indeed read comics and change the world it's been a blast folks talk to you next week adios america Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.